Hello and welcome to Radio Free Nintendo. This is episode 404, insert internet joke here. I'm your host, Jonathan Metz, and with me as always are James Jones, back from the dead. It's not really as always. Yeah, well, it's Halloween, you know, you gotta, gotta give a little bit of margin for uh, for returns here. Uh, but uh, anyway, Guillaume Veillette is here. Yeah, I'm still not writing my intro, and it shows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me, me neither. And uh, joining us this week, special guest Carl Castaneda. Podcast error 404. Podcast not found. Yep. Uh, player One did that uh, oh, a couple months ago, so I decided to just sort of get it, get the cheesiness out of the way because we're definitely not using that as the title. <laughs> <laughs> uh, John Lindemann is on his way home. He will be joining us later. I don't know if it'll be in the first segment or the second segment, but uh, he's on public transit right now, so neither does he. Yeah. We expect that the streak will survive this episode. So anyway, we've got a lot of stuff to talk about this week. I still don't know if we're going to get to listener mail because there's a lot of other stuff, and I really hate to leave that stuff just sitting there. Uh, but I think everyone listening will agree that uh, it's that time of the year. You know, <laughs> there's just a lot going on. There's a ton of games coming out that I think people want to want to hear about. I know we want to talk about them. Uh, there's a little bit of news stuff coming up later, and we've got a telethon preview because next week, instead of a normal episode, we're going to be doing, well, we will be part of the NWR telethon. Oh so God. we'll tell you a lot more about that. I know it's really soon. I've got a lot of stuff I have to get ready for. But anyway, all right. So uh, we're going to start with Carl this time since he's an old vet. He doesn't need any warming up, and he's got mm-hmm. a couple of interesting games to talk about. I do. I do, Johnny. Thank you. Um, so the first game I'm going to talk about is a game called Woe Dave, which sold me on its title. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I really, I wanted to, I wanted to grab something for today because, you know, I wanted to, t- I'm on a Nintendo podcast. I got to talk about some Nintendo. And I also am short on time, so I couldn't pick up any of the big releases that are coming out this week. Um, Woe Dave being sort of a arcade style throwback. I figured, all right, you know, that's something I can play for like three or four hours and speak about, you know, with some level of authority. Um, so I picked it up when I got home and basically Woe Dave is, is, is very much an old school arcade style game. It could have very much been, you know, put together by Intellivision back in the day. And it, it has sort of that same graphical style. Basically, you play a little dude who can pick up eggs and exploding skulls and you throw them at enemies and when you when you throw them at them that kills them you pick up these little coins and uh, the coins develop towards your high score you go through levels it's basically just all about building up your high score i played the demo at pax and the the, the games were over very very quickly i'm not sure if yeah. i was going through levels i was mostly dying yeah yeah well i mean i i, I said this after playing it for about half an hour 45 minutes and isn't that whoa dave is a very 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 faithful adaptation of the old arcade style in that it is meant to waste your time and money mm-hmm. um and so, so honestly it, kids yeah this isn't this is not a game for me uh i'll be honest i'm not I, look i know there are plenty of people out there who love you know, going for that nostalgia with the arcade style stuff that's like super, super hard. You know, you, they're really, it's, it's just about chaos and pushing yourself to the absolute limit and like Twitch gameplay. This isn't my thing. Right. Um, well, imagine, like, just to explain what the gameplay is a little bit, imagine the stages of, of Mario Brothers, the original mm-hmm. arcade game, but with a speed cranked up. Like, it's Mario Brothers yeah. Turbo, basically. Yeah. It sounds like Super Crate Box, that Vlambeer game uh, that uh, it's out. I have it on uh, my Vita because it was a PS whatever, PS, PS Minis. Mini. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. 
but it's also on iOS and Android and stuff like that. Um, but uh, it, it's it sounds very similar. I mean, it actually kind of looks like Mario Brothers, you know, the mm-hmm. arcade game. Yeah, no, and I mean, it's really I think- fast and it's really hard and it's all about high score basically. Yeah, I think I died a dozen times before I even figured out the controls. <laughs> um, and I mean, there aren't, there isn't that much to them. There's really only three buttons. Uh, there's only three things you can do. You can, you can jump, you can pick up, and you can throw. And that's really all there is. Um, but yeah, I mean, literally, you know, the enemies are moving down extremely quickly. Um, and then sometimes you'll come across like these items that will sort of change the enemies, like one of them changes them to coins and such. And so, uh, you know, those also can be a little bit of a, of a weird, like, catch-22 where sometimes they'll help you and sometimes they'll end up actually hurting you. So, I, I think it's meant to be frustrating to an extent. Like, mm-hmm. it's supposed to be that thing of, like, you know, whenever you think you kind of got a handle on it, it'll throw, like, a new wrench in the gears. But, yeah, not, not my thing at all. Uh, <laughs> it's another, another sign that maybe this game is trolling you is that you're collecting coins all over the place and your high score is going to be, like, a dollar and two cents. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really like when you look at it, it's like the sum total of your efforts is about a dollar. Um, Not enough for a Big Mac. Exactly. And then I was, it, it throws you too because you can't unlock the super hard difficulty. And it says like, unlock super hard difficulty for a dollar fifty. And I was like, wait a minute. This isn't some like dumb bullshit DLC, is it? Like, it's not going to make me un- pay to unlock the higher difficulty. Uh, but yeah, this game could use an easy mode for people like me. Uh, but as it Please. is, it's just, it's just, uh, it's a little bit too hardcore for me. I'll, I'll, the easy I'll, mode I'll, is to just not buy it in the first place, I guess. But it's easy mode is to get good. If you're into this sort of thing, it, it seems like it's high quality and people like it. Right. Yeah. Also, it's been getting good reviews, and this is a developer with a lot of Nintendo pedigree because uh, they're called Choice Provisions. That's the new name of uh, Gaijin Games, creators Ooh, okay. of uh, Runner and uh, you know Bitrip. All that good stuff. Sure. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, but while something like Bitch of Runner is something that I think anyone can get into and it's very mm-hmm. accessible, this is not. Right. Hmm. Uh, this, this does not have that same level of accessibility. Uh, so yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I would say if you're, if you're a big fan of those old Intellivision games, check this out. But otherwise, uh, be like me, play something else. It's on 3DS, right? <laughs> it is on 3DS. It's yes. on 3DS. I- it's not on Wii U, uh, but it's on Steam as well. Yes. Yeah, okay. yeah, James. If, if I am, I am bad at this video game. I'm bad at a lot of video games, and this is one so of them. It's very accessible <laughs> if you happen to be very good at this game already. Yes, yes, agreed. Um, <laughs> right. So, so that's Whoa, Dave. Great title. Nah, not really my thing. Uh, the second thing I have been playing recently is Shadows of Mordor. It's, uh, I think it's just one, isn't it? Oh, that's right. It is Shadow of Mordor. Well, there are shadow. some, there are, there is multiple shadows, but you're, you, it's, it's part of the sort of lone shadow. Basically, uh, in the game, I'm sure most people have already heard the, the plot. Basically, you, pe- you play a ranger who gets killed, and then sort of, uh, you, you're brought back from the dead by this wraith, uh, which in the Tolkien mythology are kind of just like these ghost dudes with a lot of, uh, really cool powers. Um, he kind of bonds with you, and so you go out trying to, uh, get revenge on the people who killed you and your family. Um, but what's really interesting about the game is sort of the, the mechanic of which, you know, you're sort of going up against these orcs or, uh, uriks as they're, as they're also called, which are sort of like, I guess, like a higher class of orc. Um, yeah, the Ur- and- Uruk-hai is like a, like a super orc. Yeah, in the movie, basically. Or in the book. Right. The book and the movie. Mm-hmm. And, uh, essentially, you know, you're going after, you're going after them and trying to sort of destabilize their army. And so by doing this, you know, there's a lot of stealth involved. There's a lot of sort of assassination missions. 
Um, but I guess the, the game's real hook is that, uh, a lot of these Uruks walking around have names or, or sort of have a rank. And depending on the outcome of your battles with them, they can actually, you know, their characters can develop. These aren't just people who, these aren't really just like scripted characters. These are just like randomly, you know, named and selected characters who now have a story and a, and a, a parallel path with you. You know, there was one guy who I played and I got surrounded. I died. The next time I saw him, he remembered that he fought me. And he was now, you know, of a higher rank, he had more guys with him, he had better weaponry, and he was stronger. So, you know, it really, it, it treats um, all of your interactions with sort of a lot of these high-ranking characters in a way that makes it feel a little bit more fresh than if you, you know, you die against this boss and now you just go up against him again and it's the same thing. Um, it, it, it definitely makes it feel um, a little more interesting. Also, the fact that the game, it's a plot point that you died. It's not just that you died and then the game sort of restarts. It's that you died, the Wraith revives you again, and everything sort of continues as it already was. Now, would you say that uh, this makes the game pretty difficult? Because it seems to me like if every time you die, the the enemies that killed you get stronger, that's going to make you think really hard before you go in and, you know, guns a-blazing and, and go up against some enemies that you're not really ready for yet. That's absolutely true. Um, it, it does make the game a little harder, but it, it's not necessarily that it makes it hard. It just makes you have to, it makes you approach enemies smarter, you know? Like, this isn't necessarily like, you know, one of the Arkham games where you can take on 15 people and just like button mash and walk out of it. Um, you really have to sort of think about how you approach these, uh, these sort of enemy camps. You're definitely rewarded for killing through stealth, but you also just sort of have to think about how you're going to approach them. You should, you know, it, it really rewards you for siphoning enemies off, for doing sort of, uh, you know, long range kills. And then also, um, just for, you know, saving these high ranking Uruks for last so that when you fight them, it can actually be a one on one battle because what will often happen is, um, they'll end up sort of surrounding you in a circle and they'll on, and the, the enemies actually say like, get him off balance. And so what will happen is you'll end up having to sort of do these dodging and striking patterns and they'll develop a pattern and then they'll switch it up on you. And so it, it they actually are literally throwing you off balance. Nice. Um, so it, yeah, it, it's really interesting. Um, I think the game has some pacing issues. Um, you know, the whole, the whole deal with it is that it, it is a sort of an open quote unquote breathing world. And so, the the issue with that is that it's sometimes not clear what is just a you know filling filler mission and what is an actual importance you know mission to the game because they're both sort of treated with the same weight and so by because of this it kind of makes instead of making everything feel really important it kind of makes everything feel not very important you know there I, I'm I'm actually like about halfway through the game and it's not very long I mean I think it's like maybe you know twelve hours. Uh, and honestly, I haven't really felt like there's been a really, really big moment yet. Um, you know, it's fun, but it doesn't really have, it doesn't, for something that's from the Middle Earth series, you know, from Tolkien, you expect it to have a certain level of, of, you know, sort of epic quality. And this right. doesn't really feel like that. it has that. Um, so you're not going to be casting the, the ring and the Mount Doom or anything like that? Like it's, uh, <laughs> it's really just a revenge story and then, you know, it's, you're it, done. Yeah. It's a pretty, it's a pretty cut and dry story. Um, Gollum does show up and there, you know, there's lots of allusions to other things that are going on. You're basically trying to get after the black hand of Sauron. Um, so there's definitely a lot of interplay with the main sort of mythology, but, you know, as it pertains to this guy, he's really just trying to get after the folks who like killed his family and him, basically. And are you playing the whole game in Mordor? 
Yeah. Um, so you're, you that's know, this a, that is, seems like a very bleak setting. I mean, the Middle Earth, you know, the whole world of Lord of the Rings is so large and varied, and there's all these different regions mm-hmm. and wonderful places that you might go. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I would set a game entirely within the most barren, bleak, crappy looking part of that world. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, there's definitely patches of green, I think, to break up the gray, but, uh, <laughs> okay. it's, it's, it, you know, you're, you're not far off. Uh, it's, it's, it is pretty bleak. Um, mm. you know, but I, you know, I, it, it fits the tone they're going for. I mean, this is a game that is, uh, that is kind of bleak and very, you know, uh, very grim in its tone, and so the setting kind of matches that. But you know, wake I, me up for Shadow of the Shire. <laughs> I would, I would much prefer to play as a Hobbit. I think that'd be really cool. I, I'd, I'd much rather play as a Hobbit doing stealth kills. Uh, that'd be, that'd be pretty badass. Um, but I mean, I, I will, pl- I will really praise the game though, because one of the one of the big sort of um, hooks to it is that you can um, recruit these Uruks and Orcs after a certain point, once you sort of level up, uh, beyond, a, beyond, a um, a tier. And, um, you know, that makes it so that you can get a lot of people to do your dirty work for you. Um, there are various, uh, Orcs that you end up teaming up with, uh, to sort of destabilize the region. Um, it kind of does feel a bit like guerrilla warfare in that, in that respect. And so I think that it, there's, there's a lot of interesting stuff to be had here. I just think it's not necessarily, as refined as you might want. It doesn't feel, it doesn't feel very tight. It feels like there's a lot of really good ideas and a lot of interesting mechanics in play, but the game just doesn't really tie itself together. Yeah. Um, oh, but it still I, sounds I pretty mean, cool. I'd, I'd like to play it. Um, it's, it's, to it, it at some point. Yeah, it, it's super cool. And I mean, we were joking about this before we started recording. I mean, it's a, it's a licensed game on, you know, a third party game on a plat on the PS4. It'll end up being 30 bucks at some point. Um, and what it is, I think, I think that's a, that's a really good price for it. Yeah. And at some point, probably isn't that far off, to be honest. Yeah, could be, nah, a, probably not. Could be a <laughs> holiday season. You know, you never know. Yeah. Well, it will, def- it will definitely be... be on sale somewhere for 35 bucks this holiday season. Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll be on the lookout. But uh, James, you've been playing a game that I'm going to guess is not going to be on sale anytime soon. Ever. Because it's a Nintendo published game. Mm-hmm. And that is Fantasy Life, the level five, um, just do what you want JRPG that they have spent. Uh, it's been, I don't know, forever since they first announced it. But basically, if you haven't caught what this game is, uh, you play as a, a character of your own design. And you pick a job, and then you go around the world and get people's mail. I mean, that's pretty much fantasy life in a nutshell. Get people's mail. It's, it, there is a literal mission where you go get somebody's mail, and you deliver it to them. Huh. It's there. There's. It's a lot of basically do do a bunch of quests, level up your job, do a bunch of quests, progress the story, do a bunch of quests, make money. I mean, right. that's sort well, of. Well, I just. The, I- I've seen it uh, on US Gamer. They had an interesting analogy. They were basically saying this is a an MMORPG without the MMO part. You know, <laughs> it's just like the, the the quests, the side quests, basically the the fetch quests, but also you know um, uh, crafting and things like that. Except that you can do it by yourself now. You're you're playing through a story by yourself. You don't have to. Uh, you know, uh, make, uh, rendezvous with people to do a raid or anything like that. Right. It's just. It- the takeaway from me, I mean, it's it's a neat world they've built. Although I don't like that it's all locked, uh, or large portions of it are locked up until you you know go talk to these people that the game wants you to talk to first, and then go back to your house. 
and then sleep for the night, and then, oh, now you can go visit this place. I wish I could explore more. I mean, because the world is what this game has going for. It's this neat world full of just creative creatures and environments and just stuff you can do. And and it's seeing that world and exploring it is really where the game sort of uh, comes out ahead. It's when you're trying to just, you know, just do quests so you can access more of the world that I find the game tends to get kind of dull. Right. Like, the the thing is, this game is very much, like, you've got all sorts of meters uh, that you're leveling up. Um, and I was very wary of that. Like, I, I did, I also bought this game, and I bought it specifically specifically because I wanted something addictive that could replace Tomodachi Life, because at 80 hours, I should stop playing that game. Um, but yeah, so uh, th- there's lots of meters, like you've got, uh, you're trying to get money, of course, you're trying to level up your individual jobs, and you're leveling up your character, uh, his stats, and then you're also leveling up basically your bliss uh, what they call it, and uh, yeah. So I was I was worried that that it would be just a grind, you know. And in many ways it is, but then some of these meters are are not exactly grindy, you know. Like the the bliss meter, for instance, uh, you actually get the bliss by doing stuff that teaches you uh, what you're supposed to do in that world and for advancing the story. So it's not like okay, collect this thing for twenty times and then you're gonna upgrade. Uh, it's more like, well, well you some can... of it is. Well, there, sure. There, no, there I know, I know, but that, that aspect specifically, like, it's more like, okay, there's like, um, you can get pets in this game. Have you talked to the place, you know, where you can, uh, have you gone to the place where you can get pets? No, well, do that and then you'll get some bliss and then you'll be able to get a mount or something but, like but that. But what's, but what to me was frustrating was, so the one where it's like, hey, go talk to the pet store. I already had a pet. I already had a dog. I already taken it into battle. So, but mm. I still had to go talk to the the pet dude to get to clear out the story quest to get the dog. And in fact, the game gave me bliss for having gotten a pet, but I still had to go back and listen to this dude ramble on about dogs and cats, Ooh. or excuse me, ramble on about woof woof and meow meows. <laughs> <laughs> because the writing in this game is atrocious. It is oh, it it's is cute. abominable. Oh, it's awesome. No, it's, the money, it is the money way, in the game. way, way too far up its own ass. <laughs> the money in the game is called Dosh, which is amazing. Uh, I love yeah, it. but that's fine. That's that's fine for like it's it's a joke you can kind of get away with. It's real quick. But like right. the fact that the characters is like, what meow meow do you want? Fuck you, I want a cat. <laughs> just, just just stop it. Just stop. Stop now. And it's just the fact that every conversation is like that. So I mentioned it before the show. There's a character you meet and he talks and talks and talks and talks and talks and then says, well, I don't want to talk too much longer, so let's just – I don't want to go on forever, so that's pretty much all I'm going to say. And then he goes on for like seven or eight more screens of text. It's right. like – and it's not – the game's not being ironic. It's just it can't control itself. And so there's like, okay, just just shut up. Just shut up. I'm just hammering A. and I'd never sit there and just hammer A, but damn it, I just do that sometimes. Right. Um, Someone finally broke you. <laughs> I mean, this this game is is the level fiveest of games ever made. Like, mm. you could not make a game that is more level five than this game. Yeah, but at least you can skip the text pretty quickly. You can't do that in most laden games, as far as I yeah, as far as I remember. And but they're uh, not quite so voluminous with the text. I mean, they're not just oh, like but, I, no, no, no engagement in a latent game goes more than like three panels unless it's story based. Hmm. versus this game where everything goes past three panels. 
So, I mean, to me, the biggest, the biggest problem I have with this game is that a lot of the quests don't, that you have to do to advance the story aren't very interesting. They're like, go talk to this guy. Okay, I'm going to go talk to this guy. He's going to tell me about the airship. Well, I've already flown on the airship. What difference does it make? So I go over there and he talks about airships and, oh, they're like magic. And then the, your, your, your avatar who speaks on your behalf because you don't speak, the, this butterfly comes out and is like, well, I fly with wings. I wonder if I have to pay to fly on the airship. Like, God damn it. Just shut up, please. <laughs> so you get through this and then you go and you, all it gives you is the ability to, to hop back and forth between areas you've already been to. But to like advance your job, it's like, hey, kill six of this enemy in this cave. And then you have to contend with the fact that the game's map is horrible. It's like, where's, where's, it'll be like, hey, go to Lava Cave and kill six lava jellies. Okay. Where's that? I don't know. Figure it out. So you're sitting there, look at the map, doesn't help. It's just, there's so much about this game that's not user friendly that it's just, hmm. it's frustrating. Um, it, like the, the map, the map is the worst sin because it's just, it, it's so basic to how to make a map that tells you where a fucking cave is. Right. This, this map's like, nah, don't worry about it. Yeah, I'm still I'm still in the starting area because I found myself thinking, well, I, I wanna I don't want to leave before I start at least all the the professions because then uh, you know like I'll be equipped to deal with everything. So I'm, I'm I st- I haven't run into a problem. Well, with see, that. I've only stuck with one job, but it doesn't it doesn't really seem to make much of a difference. Hmm. I mean, uh, I'm using the 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 wizard job, and it's it's so overpowered that it's kind of it's kind of silly. Because even like the really strong enemies, unless I just can't hurt them, I could just I could just run off screen, shoot them, and then run away, and then they de-aggro, and then I go back in and do it again. Just okay, until, so it's uh, all real time action combat. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's super easy, you think? Well, that particular job is. I mean, hmm. if you're if you're a more up close and personal combat job, it's probably not quite so easy. Or if you're a non combat profession, which there are, there's like fishermen and you know blacksmith. That maybe that's. So it, if you're one of those, altogether. do you just try to avoid combat, or no, do no, you, you can do you still... get into situations where you just never have to do it? I mean, is the game essentially combat-free in that case? If you no, it's a, it's kind of weird because the the combat professions are basically, in my opinion, the most boring ones because they don't do anything that you can't already do as any other profession. It's just that certain of your stats are going to be higher, and maybe some skills are going to be unlocked uh, that wouldn't be otherwise. But uh, you can whack away at any enemy with a uh, a knife or a sword, or you can also use once you uh, start the hunter profession, you can use a, a bow and arrow. And uh, at that point, I agree. Like I haven't started the the the, the wizard job yet, but with a, a long distance weapon like the bow and arrow, uh, the enemies can't really touch you. So mm-hmm. at that point, the, the the game becomes way too easy. So yeah, with the wizard, imagine you also have area of effect. Oh boy. Yeah, the, like like the most powerful wizard spells that I've unlocked. So I'm an expert wizard at this point. Like I went through a cave and was never actually able to be attacked by any enemies because I was hitting them from beyond ledges. So it was just it was just this long slow grind through the stage as my dog tried to aggro everything but couldn't get to them because of the ledge. Now to be fair, I get the sense that the combat may not really be the main. It's not pull but- of this game. I mean, it, the, clearly there's a good bit of it, though, right? A lot of the game is cave diving, though. I mean, it's it's hmm. dig into this cave and find thing. I mean, a lot of what the game is asking you to do, ultimately, is to solve people's wishes. Like, I would really like a good, a good iron breastplate. And you're like, all right. And, like, any smith above level novice should be able to make this. And I'm like, yeah, well, that's not me. Later. <laughs> or you could like, also go buy it for him. 
Yeah, it's like, well, I would like to get, you know, six of the sleep powder. I'm like, great. Where do I get that? He's like, you could get them from sleep jellies. Damn it. <laughs> All right, fine. I need the money. Sleep jellies. I, I mean, you could do, I mean, so you get money and you could do things like buy new equipment, make new equipment, but you can buy houses in the various towns. You can customize the, like, Animal Crossing stuff where you're like, I want right. to have the beach house and I want to get a beach themed interior. Just lay it out however you want. But I don't really see necessarily there's much net gain there. Having the houses is nice because you can warp directly to your house. So if you have a house in every town, you can just warp wherever you want to go. But like actually decorating and stuff, I mean, that's just for people who just really get into that kind of thing. Yeah, I've been playing the game way more differently than you have. Like I haven't focused on the combat so much. The first life um, or, or job that I got was the angler. And the, the, so you're fishing and, uh, it's actually really, really fun and, uh, kind of relaxing. Um, it's kind of, it's kind of similar to the fishing and animal crossing, except a little bit more involved and, uh, you don't lose the, the, your catch as quickly if you make a mistake. Um, and so, you know, that life has its own mini game, but then I was like, okay, I'm going to start every life. So I'm going to be able to do everything. So I went with the minor and the uh, lumberjack and stuff like that so I could collect material. And then I started the, the, the tailor and the uh, blacksmith uh, jobs to be able to forge and, and, you know, to sew and to create my own uh, weapons and uh, armor. And uh, it's it's really, when you play it that way, it, it's kind of relaxing and it's kind of grindy, you know, and it's kind of... Uh, you know, you just play a little bit and then like you achieve that one objective that you had set for yourself and then you can close the lid of the 3DS and move on, you know, like it, it's really great and short bursts like that. So I've been really, really enjoying it. And uh, um, I don't know, like if you're looking for more of a, a dungeon crawler or something like that, I can see why maybe this game wouldn't satisfy. But then there, there's so many RPGs coming <laughs> soon that uh, I think would fill that niche that... Uh, uh, I've decided to to play it a completely different way. Uh, I think I think game. in terms of, I mean, the game does have a plot that you are attempting to solve, and it is attempting to put you in situations where you get to explore this world as a as a means of resolving this plot. I just don't think it's doing a very good job of it. Hmm. It's like, hey, you're gonna go to Al Majik now, okay? Where's that? I don't know. Have fun. <laughs> and so, like, like you're just like. Fuck you too, King. And he's like, hey, take this letter to the King of Almajik. I don't know. Somewhere. Now, for me, luckily, I had already been there, but I didn't remember where it was. And it's like I said, the map is goddamn useless. So I was like, all right, let me go find this place again. And just wandered around until I ran into it. It's just, it's just like they're trying to push you forward with narrative, but they're not doing a good job. So, yeah, I mean, if you just hang out and just don't care, I can see that it would work out a lot better. I think when you try to start solving the story it becomes much more of a uh, uh, hmm. like well eventually i'm gonna have to progress through the story to be able to progress through the jobs so right, because it's you gonna need have to get to, to these caves that where they're gonna have the thing the 75 <laughs> ice runners you have to kill to get the next to get points for your job that you can then go trade for your star points to level up your job class and become expert tailor right mm. It's, I mean, there, there's some, there's some neat boss battles that have been fun fights that are just out in the middle of the, out, like, you know, you're just wandering around like, oh hell, dragon. And you try to fight it and realize, oh, I'm not strong enough for this. And then you just get, get the hell out of town. But in general, it's just a lot of like enemies I can, I can, you know, 
turf quickly and move on to the next place. The the the, uh, the disturbing thing to me is it sounds like whether you go heavy on combat or not, either way it sounds really grindy. And uh, you know the idea of of uh, you know Animal Crossing mixed with a, a Japanese RPG that does not seem appealing to me. I mean, it, <laughs> right. obviously well, I'm not a huge Animal Crossing fan, but you know. Most Japanese RPGs are too long anyway and, and have a lot of tedium sort of built into them. So, you know, if the, if the principle of this game is that they're going to sort of magnify that and give you way more busy work and way more kind of meaningless quests to do, that sounds kind of horrible. Uh, as cute and, and appealing right now, as it might be. I'm trying to move into, I think they call it like Master Wizard, which is like the, the top tier <laughs> of this class. But they just gave me like five dungeons to find enemies in. I don't know where any of them are. So that's that's the kind of stuff I'm dealing with right now. I'm like, what the, what the fuck is this game? And I found one of them. It was like the underwater cave, but it's in the desert. So fuck you if you can find that. It's, <laughs> it's like, great, thanks, you asshole. I don't know. Mm. There's there's just stuff that this game could do to make it more user-friendly, even, even without changing its core conceit, to just make it more approachable, make it so it's less of a of just like a, all right, I'm gonna go find this thing and I'm gonna try to do stuff. It's it's interesting that uh, that you're finding this. I mean, this game is almost two years old in Japan, mm-hmm. yeah, and uh, it is. obviously had a, a laborious localization effort <laughs> um, on the way over to uh, America, and, and it's also out in Europe now. Uh, actually, came out there first, but. Uh, yeah, I'm surprised they wouldn't have tightened up some of those things in the process. Um, or maybe, actually, maybe they muddied them in the process. Maybe they were a little more clear. Maybe, in yeah, the maybe first the text place, wasn't just all the way yeah. through. Then again, I know Danny Bivens played it for like over 100 hours when it came out in Japan. So, right. Some people really love it. There, there, I could see people getting absolutely hooked on this game. Because it is, it is the level fiveest game ever made. So <laughs> if you, if you are like hardcore into their shtick, you're going to yeah. love this game. Well, I, I don't actually love, love, love level five, but I, and I was kind of wary about the whole kind of addiction side of it. Like, I, I'm very wary of games that, you know, kind of make you do micro quests and then give you a little boost of, uh, um, uh, you know, a little pat on the back to, to keep you going. Um, kind of some positive reinforcement, but, uh, I, I've been really enjoying it. And I must admit, I, I, I was kind of, I'm, I'm kind of a little bit of, uh, addicted. And, uh, I might have, like, gone to bed at, like, one last night because I was trying to, uh, you know, uh, gain a level as a tailor. And, uh, it was really, really important that I finish that. And I, you know, it's kind of like that <laughs> one more turn syndrome before you go to bed and then you realize, oh shit, it's, it's 5 a.m. and I gotta go yeah. to work. <laughs> mm-hmm. But but I, I I I don't know I find it really enjoyable and um, I'm gonna keep playing it the way I'm I'm playing it. I, I know it sounds grindy, but and I've actually if the, said if that's how you like it. Then that's how you right. Should play well, it. I don't I don't normally like grinding, but this game I'm kind of approaching as a time waster, which it is. Yeah. And yeah, for yeah. for once, like that's what I'm looking for. Like I'm okay. I've got my 3ds. I'm just I don't really want to do anything. I'm just going to hop in the game and, uh, you know, do a small quest. I think that's fine. I just think that they could have had that and then had the main the main arc of the story not be so laborious. Right. I, I can't speak to that, but that that's a good point. Like, I, 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 I just haven't done the story. Yeah, I mean, by, by the time the king asks you to deliver, to deliver your fourth or fifth letter, you're just going to be like, you know what? <laughs> it's time for a revolution. <laughs> mm. Deliver your own goddamn mail. 
Okay, so uh, sounds like a, an interesting spread of reactions to fantasy life. I'm sure we'll hear more about that in the coming weeks. But uh, we just uh, were joined by Mr. John Lindemann. It's good to be here, Johnny. And uh, might, might I add, the streak does continue. Even though I had <laughs> yes, a late it start, it is a start nonetheless. <laughs> it counts. It's it not counts. a Radio Free Nintendo episode if we don't mention the streak. That's right. <laughs> It's a, it's a big deal to me. Just you finish know. strong it's for us, okay, buddy? I will, I will. Uh, so, John, why don't you tell us about what you've been playing recently? Well, you know, in my never-ending quest to find only the finest games out <laughs> there to talk about. You son of a bitch. Um, so, you know, Lair for PS3 is a game that I've always been curious about. Why? <laughs> well, you could ask that of what a lot of things oh, I'm curious about. I think a lot about. of people are curious about Lair. <laughs> yeah, Lair. So, so you know, it was on Amazon. I've I've been kind of watching it for the last little while, last couple of weeks or so. <laughs> You're the just only kind of, one. Just kind of gauging, gauging these prices on the internet stock market for what Lair is worth out there. And and you know, at one point I saw it on your auction on Lair. Yeah, at, at one point I saw it on Amazon for sixteen bucks, but that was just way too much money. I wasn't going to pay that, but it did drop down to ten. So mm. I bid on it, and actually I said that on Twitter, and people were like, "That's you're, you just paid way too fucking much. You just got ripped off." But that's fine. That's okay. So, so yeah, Lair. So you know, by Factor Five, um, and so I haven't played a whole lot of it. I just I played uh, the first mission up to the first boss, which is really not long. I mean, it's maybe like a half hour. Like I just popped it in, but I kind of feel like I've played enough, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not Happy terrible. John. It's it's not terrible. No, I'm gonna play further into it. But well, did it, you, you know, did you have the guide on how to review the game? First off, <laughs> no. But see, I can see why they would have one because that game tells you nothing about how to do things, and that's one of the that's one of the, that's one of the biggest problems with it is it doesn't. I mean, the, the controls are fairly obvious in the sense that, and actually, the the, the six axis controls are pretty good. They actually they're you know the, it. I mean, your dragon behaves exactly as how you would think it would with the six axis. I mean. But, of course, the problem with that is the six-axis controls are what you always use, which just gets irritating after a while. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, but it, it's it's definitely a Factor 5 game in the sense that you can tell that they went into it um, trying to make something like um, Rogue Squadron and putting, like... A, with dragons. Yeah, like a dragon kind of D&D sort of veneer over it. Like, I mean, it plays exactly like a Rogue Squadron, you know, Rogue Leader kind of game, even down to the point where you have the equivalent of the, the target finder overlay, except it's, it's Rage Vision that you're, <laughs> that turns the, that turns the screen red when you hit down on awesome. the D-pad. Yeah, but, but again, it has the same problem, and this is what I think is so funny about it, is that it has the same problem where enemies, faraway enemies, get lost in the background, so you have to have this alternate mode to even see them, Dear like, see, God. like, the red outline, it's like, why, why did you not fix that, like, Julian, let's have a chat, let's, you and me, let's sit down, and we'll talk through some things. Yeah, and so it's just, it, it feels, it's just, um, it's not, it just, it just doesn't feel like really, uh. I don't know. It just doesn't. The, the pieces don't fit, really. It just feels like it's. It feels really rushed. Um, you know, which, the, the, which it probably was because it was a launch game, right? Yeah, and yeah. and you know that it just doesn't feel polished. It feels kind of janky. Like uh, for example, for the first in the first boss, I mean the, the the first area. I mean aside from the tutorial, which is just horrible. Um, you're flying through these big rings, and it's like. It, you know, you have this sidekick guy who's saying like this, all this really corny stuff like, oh, you're flying like, uh, Corwin and Aiden did when they came back from the bar with those, 
wenches last night. I mean, it's just like, stop, please. Stop it. Time out, time out, time out, time out. Yeah. Are they talking to you while you're in flight? Well, yeah, you kind of have like a like a wingman, right? How? But how? But can... how? On their radios? Uh, apparently, their voices carry. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh my god! Yeah, it's part so, of rage vision. So, yeah, it's so. So, John, is, does this kind of feel like Rain of Fire the game? I don't know. I've uh, never seen no, Rain of Fire. There's but a I... Rain of Fire game, Carl. I reviewed it. There what? is, yes. Yeah, there is. Yeah, there's oh, totally yeah. a Rain of Fire game. Oh, yeah. Why are we, I, I why haven't are we seen not... Rain of okay. Fire, but I wouldn't, want to, I wouldn't want to insult it by saying that this is feeling hey, like hey, a movie at all. I damn thing about that game, but I know that it exists. <laughs> I have seen that movie four or five times. Only one of them was sober, but... You know, it's... that movie is fine. Yeah, <laughs> is, is that the one, is that the one where that Sean movie, Connery is the voice is of the dragon? acceptable for what it is trying to do. Yeah, exactly. Oh, man. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah, I mean, Lair. It's. I mean, it's not. It's not terrible. It's not a terrible game. It's just. It's just. It's extremely mediocre, and I think it. It got killed just because of who it was coming from. The fact that Factor Five mm-hmm. made it. People were yeah. expecting a lot more. Um, but, but I mean, for, for for example, the first the first boss, the the first area really has you just. It kind of drops you into this. Um, into this kind of seaside uh, city where that's that's getting attacked by a bunch of ships. So you have to fly down and. You know, breathe fire on the ships, and they they blow up. You're actually you're shooting fireballs, which is actually pretty cool. It's not bad. It's pretty well done. But the boss, so you eventually fight the general of the attacking forces. And the thing is, is so it it tells you, it gives you instructions up to the point where you actually get next to the guy and have to hit him to kill him. And at that point, it tells you nothing about how to do it. And I had to actually look online, and of course, because everything. Does the game fact article just say why? It's just the word <laughs> why thirty six thousand times. Well, it's the thing is it it apparently you just have to because what happens is you you um you you press the circle button to you, you target in on him with like R one or something and then you press circle to like fly up to him and hit him but that that doesn't do anything that really just kind of gets you next to him so you can actually start attacking him and so but it doesn't tell you anything about how to actually attack him and. I, so you know, I checked. I checked an FAQ, and apparently, you just shake the controller to attack him. <laughs> and I was like, "Wow, how inventive! <laughs> it's amazing." Oh. And so I haven't gone back to beat the boss because I'm just like, it's just the incentive just isn't there for me to go all back right, and all right, all right, John. throw the six axes around a while. John, John, John. Let's let's say when you got this game, mm-hmm. it came with a big like 35 page book that detailed out how to handle every single one of these encounters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You give it a higher review score, right? <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I don't know. It kind of. It's one of those games that just kind of is what it is. It's like it's. I, I don't. I can't see it. I can't see it getting extended beyond what the initial experience is. Yeah. I, I mean, it's just kind of shallow. Like I, th- I think. I think your your point about people saw who it was coming from and expected better. And and I mean, they, Sony and Factor Five both hyped it up hard. Mm-hmm. And I think. I think the response to criticism sort of cemented that game. That game's place in history, and it probably caused it to become perceived worse than it actually is well the fact that they had to follow up launch with a patch that put in you know normal yeah normal uh analog controls that really doesn't uh, look good i wish i wish they just owned it and said you know what this patch makes the uh the motion controls even more motiony yeah it's, mm. it's like you really it's, have to fling it around now mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah so i mean it's it's interesting i mean the the, the cut scenes are kind of cringeworthy 
some of them look good. Your your dragon actually looks really good overall. I mean, both in the cutscenes and actually in gameplay. Um, the kind of cities you fly over, they sort of vary. Uh, some of them look pretty bad. Some of them look okay, but overall, it's just um, it just looks like it, it was. <laughs> it it could have used like another six to eight months in the hopper. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And just yeah. kind of a flawed, just kind I'm of. Sure a, the people who made it would agree. Yeah, and it's just the whole concept. It's so straight down the middle. You know, mm-hmm. it's just every single kind of D and D sort of Lord of the Rings type trope. I mean, it's right there. It's you know, you, you have like your I, I don't even really know what your character's backstory is, but he has two buddies and he one, rides a dragon. That's his backstory. Well, yeah, and they, they really don't even really go into that very Somehow, much. But he just but he, he woke up one day and he was sitting on their dragon. And, oh shit! Yeah. <laughs> uh, but of course, you know he has he has you know one buddy who. Loves the girls, and then the other guy's super serious, and uh, it's just come on, it's just so <laughs> very, very predictable. John, which so, one, which one way, am I in this relationship? Am I the one that loves the girls, or am I super serious? Uh, you're definitely the lady lover, oh, lady okay. lover, cool James is what I would call you. Ladies. I would I would say ladies love cool James. <laughs> true, yeah, true, Ooh. true. You caught me on that one, <laughs> ladies. Uh, Johnny's Johnny hip hop fact checker. So anyway, let's move on to what Guillaume's been playing. Yeah, sure. So uh, I, I've been playing a lot. I've been playing Fantasy Life, and I've also been playing... I wanted to be... We've got so many new releases, so I wanted to be current. And what better way to be current than to play a port of a four-year-old game on the Wii U? Um, so I've been playing the first Bayonetta. Ooh. Uh, I've never played it before. Um, I only owned a PlayStation 3. The port for the PlayStation 3 was just broken, so I never really touched it. And so I was really, and I had kind of a pent up desire for a, a character action game like this on a Nintendo console. I mean, I, I know that I often talk about 2D platformers and cute little games and uh, funny little games. And, uh, so maybe you, you wouldn't guess, but, uh, th- there, there are clues. You know, I've talked about uh, DMC. I've talked about Ninja Gaiden 3. I was that desperate, uh, on the Wii U, uh, Razorblade. <laughs> So finally, Bayonetta, uh, it's pretty much everything that I hoped it would be. Uh, I just love the, the, the combat, uh, feels great. And I just love games that reward, um, timing your dodge move at just the right time. Um, in action games like this, I, I think it's a great mechanic and, uh, you know, like one of my favorite, uh, action games on the PlayStation 2 is actually Onimusha, which is all about that kind of stuff. Like it was all about observe the enemy. He's gonna, you know, kind of wind up to, to attack you and you gotta press the block at just the right moment and then you can unleash hell. You know, like he's gonna be frozen in place or he's gonna be dizzy or something's gonna happen, but you're gonna have to, ha- you're gonna have way more time to unleash a, a long combo. And, uh, so that's what happens in this game. You kind of, when you time it just right, you trigger which time. So everything moves all of a sudden in slow motion. Uh, the closer that you press the dodge button to the actual contact of the enemy's attack, um, the, the, the longer the witch time lasts and the oh, bigger. So analog. That's good to know. Yeah. And the, like uh, that. so like the, the longer combos you can unleash and the, the, you know, the better you can do. So it's, it, it really feels good. And when the time freezes like that, uh, you, you just feel so badass, you know, like nothing can stop you and you can just wail into the enemies and uh, it just feels great. 
Uh, but first, like the first impression I had of the game was actually pretty bad because I had played the Bayonetta 2 demo, which looks gorgeous and it's really spectacular. And this game starts you in a very, I don't know, it's very confusing. You're surrounded by enemies. I'm not sure if Bayonetta was actually visible on the screen when I started controlling her, like, um, it kind of it's starts in the cemetery, in a, right? If I remember um, correctly. Yeah, well, that's after the initial intro sequence where okay. uh, you it's kind of flashback or maybe you flash forward. I'm not sure. It's confusing, um, but like it's the I don't know. It's the scene right before a big event, and then she loses her memory. Uh, that whole trope, that whole cliche. But yeah, like you can't really take damage. You can't really do much damage, as far as I could tell. So it's it's not a big deal. But it just the game looked kind of crappy. Like there was a weird filter on the the the, the graphics, and uh, yeah, you can't really see what you're doing. Uh, you're literally on a piece of, of falling rock. Uh, it's extremely hard to tell what's going on. So I, you know, not a good first impression. But uh, then you get to the graveyard, the first level, and uh, the game becomes much more forgiving at that point, like at the point where you can actually start taking damage. Uh, you, the, the enemies don't surround you so much, at least not yet. And uh, the, the camera is a little bit more cooperative. Uh, <laughs> it's a little bit more, uh, you know, it manages to tell you better what's going on. And uh, from that point on, the, the, the game started feeling right. Um, there, there is some uh, exploration to be done in every level. Like it's one of those games where you're going to advance through the level and then you're going to like the entry and exit are going to be blocked off and you're going to have to fight these enemies and then you're going to open up again the level for exploration. And most of the time when that happens, I suggest going backwards to where you came from because usually there's going to be some new challenge that unlocks that wasn't there before. You're going to meet new enemies that weren't there and uh, then you're going to get more points for, uh, you know, throughout the level and you're going to get a better, I think you get gold statues, silver statues at the end of a level, uh, you know, depending on how you did. So it's really important to, to explore every little corner of a level uh, when you're going through it. Well, what um, are the statues good for? Bragging rights, I guess. I mean, it's just like the satisfaction of getting like an S rank or an A rank at an action game. It's really kind of a reward right. uh, so, of so, its own. So the exploration uh, it, isn't necessarily like a boost. It's just kind of like a additional content kind of thing. Yeah. Like, I'm not sure if the statues themselves are going to unlock anything. Uh, they might. I, I haven't looked that up. But uh, also, as you fight, the better you do, the better, the longer your combos and the less damage you, you take and all of that stuff factors into how much money basically you're making. You're collecting angel halos. And that, so that's your currency. And so you can upgrade Bayonetta, upgrade her weapons and, and buy new moves and, and stuff like that. So that in itself encourages you to go back to really explore a level and, you know, go back if you miss stuff and uh, try to do better if you perhaps like lost a couple of lives uh, going through it the first time. Um, I, I think the game is very forgiving. Like it's a tough game, but uh, you've got lots of recovery items that you can buy. Um, and, and even if you die, like you, you can usually restart at a pretty uh, checkpoint that's you know not too far away and dying of course penalizes you in points but you can still finish the level so i, I really uh, appreciate that um beyond the combat and the the, the exploration there are some cool puzzles there's uh, 
uh, I don't know, I had to pick up an hourglass that rewound time. And, you know, with that, I, I recreated a bridge that had fallen off. It's a, it's a pretty cool scene. And that particular thing comes back a couple of times in the game so far. Um, so yeah, like I'm loving the game. I wanted to say that first. Uh, and of course, I've only basically been talking about the mechanics and the level design. And uh, that's because I do not give a crap about anything that's going on in this, this game. Like yeah. the story, I couldn't tell you exactly what's going on. It's something to do with angels and demons. And, you know, the angels are dicks. And it's it's kind of a, a familiar trope. Like if you've watched the Constantine movie or... You know, if you watch Supernatural, like it, it's not a new theme. Even Devil um, May Cry is follows a kind of a very similar pattern, I think. And Darkstalkers, right. sure, I mean, Darkstalkers probably has one of the more interesting approaches to it, I think. Hmm. But similar still, yeah. But like did, did, the, the, wait, the game, Darkstalkers. You mean the Capcom fighting game? I'm sorry, Darksiders. Okay, I was like, Darkstalkers Dark is fucking stupid, but it's dumb. <laughs> it I love that series, but it's dumb as hell. But that's probably yeah. not the kind of dumb you're going for. Yeah. yeah anyway, like the the, the cutscenes go on for way too long. The characters, Bayonetta herself, like a lot has been written about her, but actually, like it's all the characters around her that I can't stand. Like there's this character Enzo, who's like this uh, little Italian guy who's helping her, but he's trying to get money. You know, like he's trying to make money off uh, Bayonetta, killing off angels and. He's got this uh, Joe Pesci kind of voice. Like, I think that's what they were going for. I think that's what the developers of the game thought that they got. But actually, to me, he's more like, you know, like Rob Schneider's character in the, the Stallone Judge Red movie. <laughs> <sighs> like, that character is just like an annoying character that no one wants around. Sounds a lot like Joe Pesci, but yeah. Okay. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. Joe Pesci in like little Lethal Weapon Four. Ooh. Yeah. yeah, he's super yeah. annoying in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the cutscenes are nonsense. Uh, people on the internet have been telling me, like on Twitter, like, "Oh, well, you know, it's fun. It's silly. You're supposed to find it funny. Like, you just laugh it off." But the, the, as I said, they go way too for way too long, and um, to me, like humor. Like pace and brevity is important in humor, mm -hmm. and uh, I just you know I just lose interest. And I've been skipping. I've been watching maybe like the first thirty seconds of cutscenes and then skipping them. Mm -hmm. um, lots of clouds of blood and go lots of gore. Uh, I, I don't really care for that stuff. I'm more enjoying the game as I do a, a Mario game. You know, like just I play it for the mechanics and less for the character or the story or whatever is going on. Yeah. Um, I've also heard that, you know, it doesn't, in, in terms of story, it doesn't really matter which order you play these games because it's, it's so difficult to make any sense of it anyway. <laughs> and it's not even necessarily clear that one follows the other. Uh, at least that's what I've heard. Uh, right. But, um, I, I, I think I, when I, if, and when I, I end up picking up Bayonetta one and two, the combo, I will probably play through the first one like you first because I've heard that the second game just looks and feels so much better that if you play yeah. Bayonetta 2 first, it would be hard to go back and appreciate the first one at all, even though it's yeah, still a that, good game. Yeah, that's the reason why I started with the first. Not yeah. because I wanted to follow the story, but because I, I wanted to have this experience of playing you know, the, the four-year-old game and then playing the much better sequel. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, and it, it shouldn't take that long. I don't think either one of them are 
tremendously long games. Apparently, the first one is longer than the second one, so, you know, brace yourself. <laughs> Apparently, okay. it goes on for a little bit too long. Like, it, it overstays its welcome. Yeah. Um, we'll see. All right. Well, what else, Guillaume? Oh, um, well, very quickly, I've been... Uh, I don't know. I've been playing this uh, little 3DS game on the side uh, that I bought way back a couple of months ago. It was on sale. And I think that the website, I think that it was Neil who gave it a good review. It's a, uh, an eShop game called Super Little Acorns Turbo. And uh, it's just this cute little 2D platformer. Uh, those are, <laughs> I'm still into those. And um, at first, I was not really super uh, impressed with it. Like the, the the controls felt really kind of loosey to me. Um, kind of the the characters seemed to travel left and right a little bit too fast, a little bit too far, and, and not jump high enough. And I, I found it, uh, I don't know, it didn't really feel satisfying. But then very quickly in the levels, um, you, you start getting um, these uh, grapple points. And you discover, oh, okay, you can grapple. You've got this uh, kind of, uh, you can swing from these grapple points because you, you can just latch onto them when you're close to them enough. And uh, from there, uh, the game kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, the Worms games when you get the ninja rope. You know, you can't latch on anywhere you want, but the the, the kind of the swinging mechanic is, I find the the, the physics very similar. And, uh, you know, your mobility is much improved as soon as you, uh, you know, in any level where you've got these grapple points. And uh, the game becomes a lot more fun that way. And it reminded me of Worms in another way, because I don't know if you're... I don't know if you're familiar with these uh, these games, but, like, the, the, the Worms themselves, like, they're, they, they've got this kind of graphical style where... Uh, like they're breathing and so they're bobbing up and down, but their their sprite is kind of stretching and compressing. Mm -hmm. I'm not making sense to anyone. Yeah, that hasn't I mean, they're worms. They're very elastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. Anyway, the, this game even has like that same kind of animation to it. I, I'm guessing it's due to like the programming they're using. I don't know, but like the the everything seems a little bit stretchy and elastic, and uh, so like you 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 play as a kind of a Papa Squirrel, you're you're looking for your kids and for your acorns, and uh, he's very square and he's you know very simplistic uh, style. But then um, there there's these neat little touches and these uh, you know kind of animation that, that that's pretty cool. And yeah, I'm 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 really enjoying it. The every stage is kind of a small arena. You're trying to collect all the acorns and then get to the exit. Like it's not the A to B platformer. It's more like grab everything and then you can unlock the exit kind of platformer um, and one thing that's sad is that you have to unlock the turbo and super little acorns turbo and so at first the game kind of feels sluggish and not very fast at all but then uh, uh, I think pretty quickly you un uh, unlock the turbo mode and, and the game instantly feels better and, and more fun so I'm, I'm really recommending it okay so that's uh, super little acorns turbo Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I'm going to wrap up new business with a couple of games that I've been anticipating for so, so, so long. Uh, one Blair. of which I've played before. The other is brand new to me. But they're both from essentially the same series. That would be Demon's Crest and Gargoyle's Quest 2, which finally Yay. came out on Virtual Console this week. Sweet. Uh, and, uh yeah, Th these games are both like very little played, you know, like it, they're kind of 
uh, cult favorites, but not very many people ever played them. Uh, Gargoyles Quest 2 in particular, it was an extremely late game. I think it was like 92, 93 on the NES. Wow. Uh, and uh, it was made in very small quantities in, uh, in North America. And so uh, it's a vastly underplayed game. Um, it's a, a really a very direct sequel to the Game Boy original Gargoyles Quest. Uh, and it plays very much the same. Of course, it looks nice. It's a, it's a, it's a very late NES game. So it has a good look to it. Um, and I'm enjoying it quite a bit. Uh, you know, it still has a lot of the RPG elements. Uh, so as you play, it has not random battles, but it has an overworld that you walk around on, uh, kind of like Star Tropics, you know? Kind of and, like, uh, um, uh, Adventure of Link, right? Yeah, yeah. It is definitely, and, you know, both of the Gargoyles Quest games are related, I think. Uh, to Zelda 2 uh, in, in that way. But, um, you know, as you play through the game, you, you beat bosses and it'll level up your jumping. So you can jump, you actually get a jump upgrade very early in the game, which is good because the training level that you have to play before you get that is you're, the whole time, you, when you play it, you're going to think, oh my gosh, this jumping is terrible. I mean, he just, he doesn't jump very high at all. Um, but within the first, you know, 10, 15 minutes of the game, you get an upgrade for that and it feels much better after that. You have a wing meter, so you can hover because you're a gargoyle and you have wings, um, but you can't hover forever. And so as you play through the game, you get upgrades for that that let you hover longer and longer and longer. And, um, the levels, uh, there's a progression to the levels where they require you to have uh, and for some levels, you have to have a certain amount of wing power or you won't be able to get through it because of the way they've spaced out the platforms. Of course, uh, you know, Firebrand, the main character, he can attach to walls and um, you collect uh, different weapons. Uh, you can change the kind of projectile that he shoots out. Uh, and some of those have different uh, characteristics. They can break different kinds of blocks or they move in different ways uh, and they have different strength levels. So, you know, there's lots of upgrades. The level designs are interesting. I mean, I think they're pretty tough, just like in the Game Boy game. But, you know, again, mm. it's on Virtual Console. You have save states. So I think almost anyone could get through this if you have enough patience. Uh, but it's definitely a tough game. Yeah, I assume that you've got the bigger field of vision. Like, the original had big sprites, so that led to uh, seeing enemies only when they were right in your face. Right, yeah. That 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 feels much better in the NES game. Uh, that's mm. a good point. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, so, you know, the game, it, it gets off to a little bit of a slow start, but once you pick up a couple of upgrades, it starts to feel a lot better. And the character is just really unusual, the, w the way he moves, the, his abilities, the way... Uh, the, the levels are laid out to, to take advantage of these kind of odd uh, mobility upgrades that he gets. You know, yeah. Do you have the same kind of same kind of hover sort of thing that you mm -hmm. have in uh, the original? Sweet. Yeah, you're hovering. You know, you have a projectile right off the bat, so it's a mm -hmm. it's a it's kind of a jump and shoot game, and a lot of the platforming is based around his ability to stick to walls, and so there's a lot of moving platforms that you can attach to, some that you can't. Uh, but maybe you can stand on top of them, and so you have to attach to a wall and then wait for the other platform to come down and get close enough for you to jump and then hover and then time that hover move so that right as your meter runs out, you you drop down onto that platform that you're trying to get to. That's a lot of this game. Yeah. Um, and then once they throw enemies into the mix and they're all over the place and you're avoiding them or trying to shoot them in midair while you do all this other stuff – you know, that's where the challenge comes from. Yeah, because I know in the in the Game Boy game, at first it was kind of off-putting because I was just expecting it to control like a normal platformer. Yeah, it's, and yeah, it's not. You, you kind of have to sort of reorient yourself, and but once you once you get used to it, it's actually it's really fun because you you can it 
plays like a normal platformer, but you can navigate the environments in a totally different way. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's why that's what I always liked about it. Um, you know, the RPG stuff is pretty thin. Uh, you're, you know, there's a big overworld, but there's not very much going on in it. And when you go into towns, you know, they're they're very simple. It's like the original Final Fantasy. You know, when you walk into a town, it's just people standing around. You talk to them. Uh, what they, you know, usually in any given town, there's only one or two people who actually have anything important to say, and the rest are, you know, they're just kind of there to build up the world a little bit. Uh, but the entire game takes place in the ghoul realm or whatever, but it's basically hell. So that is your overworld <laughs> that you're roaming around, and all the other characters you're talking to are zombies and skeletons and demons. So the game has an interesting aesthetic to it, for sure. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that the ghoul realm thing is a result of uh, Nintendo's kind of uh, localization slash... Uh, censorship. Censorship. Sanitization. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's it's kind of like the the whole Mephisto thing in comic books. But uh, anyway, yeah. I so Gargoyles Quest Two is very faithful to the first one. In in certain ways, it feels better. It certainly looks better. And having color uh, really helps flesh out this world and make it look more interesting. And you know, it helps sort of bring out the character of of, of what you're doing. And it it helps the game sort of stand apart from from other action games on NES. But I don't know that this is among the best action games on NES. That's a pretty stacked field, uh, but it feels good, and I'm enjoying it. And the music, by the way, the 8-bit uh, Capcom music is really nice. So, I mean, it's a Capcom game for NES that you probably haven't played. I shouldn't have to say a yeah, whole lot more. Yeah, it's hard to go wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's, you know, it's five bucks, and you can play it on yeah. your Wii U, and it's got save states and but everything. See, here's, I mean, I don't know why you wouldn't go buy this. the downside this. is that oh, here you we go. are giving Capcom money. I'm giving them money to make video games. They're not making good video games. games. To... Well, they're at least releasing. This is a company that needs to burn <laughs> to I'll the ground. Them, yeah. I mean, I'll I'll give them money for this game that I would have and should have played a long time ago. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll give yeah. them that. I'll give them that. Yeah, I I recommend it so far. I mean, I've only played it for maybe an hour, uh, and and I don't know how long it goes, but uh, uh, I'm enjoying it quite a bit so far. Uh, it, I think it, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't compare all that favorably to the other game that came out today in the same series, which is Demon's Crest. Uh, yes. Although to be fair, Demon's Crest, uh, you know, is a much more advanced game. It came out a couple years later. It's for Super Nintendo. Uh, it is a damn fine game. It, it looks so great. The music is so good. The controls are so good. I mean, this is really in Capcom in the heyday. Uh, of their 16-bit prowess and uh, right. again it's mm -hmm. a game that not very many people played and way more people uh, should and now can play it much more easily since yeah. it's on I virtual mean, console I've, I've never played it i mean both of these games they weren't up this morning so i that's why i don't have them yet <laughs> i'm gonna get them both as soon as i get off this, this podcast just so. going out john I, yeah, like nice. play it john and yeah i'm excited get out peace i'm I'm excited for everybody to play it because I've been yeah. uh, I've been singing the praises of Demon's Crest for years here on this podcast. I mean, you know, whenever we get a, a listener mail question about what's a game that you really like that most people probably haven't played. I mean, Demon's Crest is just one of the first that comes to mind. And I only rented it uh, back in the 90s. I mean, I, it was one of those games. I was like, I don't know what this is, but Capcom made it and I want to play it. Yep. And when I took it home, I was just kind of blown away by how good it was. Yeah, I took a chance on it because I actually knew what it was. I was looking forward to it uh, because I had rented by chance the Game Boy game uh, one mm. week that I was spending at my grandmother's in Montreal. And just 
uh, just really loved the Game Boy game because it was unlike anything I had ever seen. And uh, originally, Demon's Crest had the subtitle uh, uh, Gargoyle's Quest 3, uh, which really? they dropped okay. Yeah, at some point in the it marketing. It is pretty different than the first two, I would say. Um, yeah. Because they stripped out a lot of the RPG stuff, and it's it's more of a straightforward uh, action game. Um, you know, it still has an upgrade path, and you can still go to levels in a different order, but it, it ends up kind of feeling a lot more like a Mega Man X game. Uh, and of course made mm-hmm. by... Although slower paced. It is more slow paced, yeah. And it, and it's the platforming is more intricate because, you know, you're playing a gargoyle who can stick to walls and he can fly. Um, and in this game, actually, there's no limit to how long you can fly. So uh, there's no meter. And so that takes some of the pressure off, but the levels are designed around that ability. And so... Um, the game is is more leveraged on uh, there's a lot of you'll encounter different kinds of walls and blocks that you don't have uh, the power to break through yet. Um, sometimes they're hiding you know optional upgrades that you can come back to later once you have that ability, or you could just skip them. Uh, but uh, the 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 main mechanic of the game is that you know Firebrand himself is very powerful, has a lot of abilities right from the very beginning of the game. Um, he can't take a lot of hits, although you do find uh, health upgrades that, that let you, uh, you know, how it's, you know, just like in Mega Man or a Zelda game. But, Mm -hmm. um, the, the, the more interesting thing in this game is that you, you get, uh, transformations as you play through the game. There's certain bosses that you defeat where you'll get, you'll pick up a gem. First one you get is the earth gem and, uh, it lets you turn into a different kind of gargoyle. And some of these are extremely different. Um, it's kind of like, you know, Hammer Brothers Mario and Frog Mario and Raccoon Mario. I mean, they play really differently um, yeah. than, the, than the main uh, set of powers. And they have not just one different ability, but maybe two or three or four different things that really you really kind of have to change the way you play the game when you, uh, when you do these transformations. And they're free. You can do them as much as you want. So it's really the game becomes a lot about just choosing the right form for the right situation and, uh, you know, like the, the earth gargoyle doesn't have wings at all. So that totally right. changes how you play the game. And you can still get through a lot of the levels, uh, with him without even having to change back into the, the normal version because he can still stick to walls. So you can still do a lot of vertical platforming with him, but it's going to be more difficult without that glide maneuver to kind of fudge over some of the difficult jumps. Um, but his attacks are completely different. And he has a charge move where you can kind of rush forward that can be useful in certain situations. So, um, and, and, and much like Mega Man, you know, you get to a boss and you might find that I, I'm fighting a fire boss right now. And the main, you know, firebrand shoots fire. That's his main attack. It's a, it's just right. a projectile. It doesn't even hurt this boss. I mean, it's completely useless against this thing because the boss is made of fire. And so you have to switch over to the earth gargoyle and that's much more effective. But now your movement is very different because you're in this transformation. So you kind of have to you have to look at the boss's patterns and sort of plan how you're going to avoid his attacks in a completely different way than if you're using the normal version. So it, mm. it's a mechanically it's a it's a very rich, deep game, uh, very complex in that way. Um, and I think by taking out some of the stats and you know the inventory and stuff like that that you have in the in the previous games, it lets them focus a little bit more on. How are these levels and these these enemies uh, placements put together? Yeah. And how are you going to get around that stuff? And it's not just like the the work that they put in the firebrand uh, transformation uh, transformations. There's also in the levels so many secrets that you can find. Yeah. And uh, the the boss, uh, the fire boss that you mentioned, 
the stage that you fight him in is especially cool because it's in a forest. And when you get to the halfway point, the boss himself uh, sets fire to the forest. So mm-hmm. all of a sudden you've got a, the, the, the canopy of leaves above you is on fire. And, um, so like the, basically the, you've got this uh, ceiling of fire that you can't hit. And, uh, if you die in the level, or if you finish the level and then you go back again, because you can revisit areas to find secrets you, you forgot, uh, the forest will have burned down. The, uh, the canopy really of cool. leaves will, will have been, like, the trees will be gone. And, uh, from there, you can find even more secrets. And also it kind of changes, uh, well, you know, it lowers the difficulty a little bit because you don't have to, you know, be careful about how high you jump and things like that. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I probably, like, we should probably warn people that they're going to reach the ending very quickly and with probably, like, not even a third of the the, the, the possible uh, items that they'll have found in their inventory. Um, but, you know, that's because there's more than one ending and uh, you're, you're encouraged to go find more items to, to unlock different paths and more levels. Yeah, it's just, I mean, it sounds to me, it's it's one of those games where the platformer had been done so many times, they just decided to do some crazy shit just to yeah. liven things up, yeah, which they... is what a lot of those later Capcom games tended to do. Exactly, yeah. Um, and of course, if you're a fan of you know Ghosts and Goblins, Super Ghouls and Ghosts, I mean, this is made by some of the same people. Um, yeah. It's obviously a, a kind of a side franchise. Uh, it has very similar music um, and, and graphical stylings. It also reminds me a lot of Castlevania. Um, although it's more colorful than that, and it controls better than most Castlevania games, uh, but uh, it, it's a it's a very difficult game. Uh, it's very tough, and uh, you know that's where I think having the save states will be uh, a, a nice relief from that. It, it's going to help me see more of the game. It's going to help a lot of people get into it a little bit easier with less frustration. But uh, it is. You know, even, I mean, the very first intro level is just like there's this giant zombie dragon chasing <laughs> you and you fight this boss fight right off the bat. And it's so amazing. It's such impressive sprite work. Uh, it, it really, it'll blow you away right from the very beginning. And, and as I said on Twitter today, it's so nice to play this game for the first time in probably 15, 20 years and find that, oh yeah, it really is as good as I've been telling people for all these years. <laughs> uh, and I, it, I really, I'm, I'm, I'm so happy to see that it really lives up to, uh, to my memories of it and, uh, and my expectations for it. So, you know, Demon's Crest, it's, it's, it's a stunning game. If you love Super Nintendo platformers, if you love action games, uh, if you love Capcom stuff, I think you should go check it out, and it's very easy to do now. So I'm excited for the world to sort of rediscover Demon's Crest and Gargoyle's Quest 2 as well, to a lesser extent. Well, Demon's Crest is one of my favorite games uh, of all time, so uh, also a recommendation from me. There you go. All right, well, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about Guillaume's recent visit to uh, a Nintendo event in Canada where he played a lot of the big holiday titles. So uh, that's a a very uh, special treat that we have for you. And uh, we're also going to have a a preview of the telethon. And we might even talk quality of life briefly. We'll see. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So stick around. We'll be right back. All 
right, welcome back to the show, everyone. We're going to start off the second segment with a special event that Guillaume attended. And Guy, why don't you tell us what this was and what you played there? This event was just uh, something that was happening uh, yesterday uh, during the work hours and then a little bit after that, and it was right downtown Montreal uh, near my workplace. So I managed to get like maybe two hours of play or of watching a couple of demos of uh, games that, you know, upcoming games and games that already came out. So, of course, I, I, I ignored Bayonetta 2. Is this a press event or something for the public? Yeah, well, it's kind of a... I, I had the same thing going on last year. It's kind of a holiday event, and then they they tell the journalists, "Well, bring your you know your loved ones, your kids, and uh, you know oh, they feed us thing. a lot of sugar." Your paramours. Yeah, so they feed us a lot of sugar, and uh, we get to play games. Um, so it's it's a lot of fun. It's probably more fun than the, the E three thing that they have going on, where it's it's you know the. This thing is not open for the public, but at least it's open for more people, right? The, mm-hmm. the journalist families. Right. Um, right. So, yeah, it, it's pretty cool. Uh, but, yeah, so uh, one of the Tell first things... Tell me about things, Sonic Boom. Right. Well, actually, very quickly, um, uh, NES Remix on the 3DS is exactly NES Remix on the Wii U. It's, uh, the you know, both 1 and 2 uh, together... And they don't mix and match the two. It's like you, when you, you start a game, you have to select uh, NES Remix 1 or NES Remix 2. And so, <laughs> wow. you know, you're getting that on a cartridge for like $30 and uh, that, that's mm. what you get. So that's my impression of that. Um, <laughs> Smash Wii U, uh, very popular game at the show. Uh, I, I didn't get to play all that much. Like, you know, like there was a wait time before I could get my hands on the controller. And when I did, I was usually, uh, out of the game pretty fast because I had no idea what I was doing. And these people probably have been playing the, the 3DS version, uh, constantly. So they, they know how to play Pac-Man, you know, and, uh, I didn't. Um, but, you know the 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 stuff that I did play it was pretty cool. Um, they they both had you know like they were kind of alternating between uh, no item matches and uh, crazy with item or, or regular I should say not crazy at all uh, regular smash uh, uh, matches. And um, usually I stayed away from the the no items stuff because it was really uh, high level players and it was very methodical and, uh, it was very impressive to watch. Um, but personally, I think that my, uh, comprehension or my, you know, my, I mean, uh, I think that perhaps like I didn't understand the subtleties that were at play there. So I, I couldn't really appreciate to the fullest, uh, what was going on. You know, I, I don't watch tournament games, uh, of any fighting game, uh, so, yeah, I, I didn't know what was going on. So I, I, I had a lot more fun just watching people play the, the crazy versions with items where it's just chaos and people are shouting and everyone is having a ton of fun. And um, so uh, Smashboard, I didn't get to play it, but uh, there, there's I watched like four people really get into it. And holy crap, it, it, it's just insane. It's awesome. Um like, when you think of Smash, you can think of it more as a, a fighting game or as a party game, and uh, the Smashboard mode is just party all the way. Um, <laughs> you, you roll the dice, everyone rolls the dice at the same time, so the, the, the pace is much faster than something like Mario Party, of course. I like that. And, 
Yeah, yeah. And every everyone moves around the board at the same time. I mean, it's kind of in in that way, it's kind of real time. So you want to get to the good items or the good bonuses before other people do. Um, th those bonuses are basically uh, you know strung around the board. Uh, hmm. That's what you're going for. You can also just aim for you know you you just bump into someone else and then you're going to have some sort of rivalry going on with them during the actual match. Uh, I'm, I I didn't really understand what, you know what that was about, but it, it sounds pretty cool. Um, but by by aiming for other people or tr racing other people to get the items, you mean like choosing different paths, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean just like running into them on the board on the the game board. Uh, then like the, the, their two avatars would bump into each other, like kind of fall back and, and then give each other an evil eye and it looked like they were, you know, uh, nemesis's nemesi. Nemesis. That's terrible. Nemesis. It looks like, you know, they, they were going to be nemesis in the, the actual match. Um, but anyway, so once the, the, the actual match starts, like people choose, uh, you know, different things. He, uh, from the stuff that they picked on the board, uh, they, they might choose, I think, like their starting item and stuff like that. And uh, the, the rules of the match themselves can change. For instance, like everyone can have like one of those uh, flowers stuck on their heads and or, you know, at the start or, you know, someone could be like twice the size that they normally would be and everyone is, is regular size. And um, uh, so you never know exactly what was gonna, uh, what is going to happen, and that really reminded me, in a way, of uh, James's special rules uh, on the <laughs> 400 stream. You know, maybe the best not, way. yeah, maybe not quite as game breaking as that, uh, but definitely kind of the same spirit. You know, uh, so yeah, it was just a, a ton of fun to look at, and, and yeah, uh, people were just having the a great time playing that. You know, compared to the very methodical and very silent, um, you know, more, you know, final destination, no item matches, uh, I had more fun watching the Smashboard stuff. Um, Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, other than that, I, I don't have that, a ton of observations. Is the Wrecking Crew stage in the 3DS version as well? No, there is a no, Wrecking a Crew one. game. Yeah. And, uh, so in this stage, it's, uh, perhaps you can guess if you, if you've played the, uh, original Wrecking Crew on the NES, but, uh, you've, you've got the, the, the brick walls in the background. And when you, you know, when you hit someone in front of them, you're going to break those bricks. You're going to weaken them and then destroy them. And there's these, uh, also the, these bombs, uh, that can destroy a whole row of bricks. And when a whole row of bricks is gone, then the, the girders, that was on them, supported by those bricks, uh, will, will just fall, and then like the, the the game crashes one level, you know, like that one mm. level of the the structure disappears. It's yeah, it's it's wrecking crew. So it's a pretty neat concept. Um, and another interesting stage that I saw was the gamer stage, which is in fact uh, based on the Game and Wario uh, mode, where. In Game and Wario, you're trying to play video games like you're playing to play. You're trying to play WarioWare without your mom knowing uh, under your covers, and you have to basically hide from her whenever she she uh, uh, appears in the room, like opens the door all of a sudden or sees you through the window. Uh, it's it's kind of creepy, and they they did the same thing here. Uh, you're you're basically fighting on a table, and there's like 
books standing up and there's random, you know, like stuff thrown around the desk. And uh, so occasionally the mom is going to burst into the room and her her eyes are just lighting up the place like she's a freaking demon. And if you're <laughs> in the light, if you're not hiding behind one of those books or, you know, one of those things that are on the desk, then you're going to get hit. You're going to get a penalty, like you're going to get damage. Um so, really, so they turn really, Smash Brothers into a stealth game for this level. Kind of, yeah. So you you might want to, you know, of course, you might want to try to throw someone or uppercut someone into her field of vision and damage them even more than you would um, while avoiding damage yourself. It's a, it's a, it's a really cool stage. Nice. Um, yeah, that's about all I have to say about Smash Wii U. I did get to play at the very end an eight-player uh, match, um, the, the stage, unfortunately, was kind of boring. It was just uh, very, very flat, and there was not a whole lot going on. But, uh, you know, eight players on on the screen is already chaotic enough that uh, I was not bored. And you also, <laughs> I, I was dispatched very, very quickly. You know, I'm, I'm honestly really impressed that the game can actually... It, it, it maintains 60 frames per second, even when you've got eight players on screen. Yeah, I didn't see uh, any drops in performance. Um, That's really incredible. It is, yeah. I mean, the whole game runs at 60 frames per second and 1080p, which is, you know, kind of the holy grail that uh, the other systems seem to be having trouble with for, you know, from depends game to game, but Smash Brothers certainly is not an ugly Especially game. Especially when Ubisoft decides, <laughs> actually, everybody's going to be at 30, it's more cinematic. <laughs> <laughs> it's more old-fashioned that's what we're going for fuck you retro feel <laughs> yeah no the the game looks great i didn't see any problems and uh the the uh the in performance like no uh frame rate drops that i could perceive um mm -hmm. the loading was not didn't take too long i think it's going to be bearable it's not like the the sony uh all-star thing where the, the loading could take <laughs> yeah, like 30 yeah. or one 30 seconds or one minute so yeah like a really good looking game and uh they had uh the adapter with four gamecube controllers and someone else was playing with a wii u pro and someone else was playing with a gamepad and uh i can't remember they, they must have had other controllers i don't remember seeing them um but yeah like everything went really smoothly and uh yeah it's a blast i am really looking forward to it now now, how was the, how was the awesome. zoom out with eight players, Kiam? How did it look? Um, well, it was not as bad as playing on the 3DS, I think. Yeah. Um, mm. It was just, uh, I don't know, like, of course it was more confusing than playing with just four players. But, uh, no, because also, because it was a very plain stage, um, you, you basically knew where you were at all times, mm -hmm. um, if you knew what you were doing. Sometimes I, I lost my character, but that's because I'm, I don't know what I'm doing. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this might be one of those modes where, you know, the size of your TV really comes into play. Yeah. yeah. And the shape of your living room, like where are people sitting, you know, mm -hmm. and how yeah. close are you to the, to the screen versus how big it is. Yeah. In terms of like party game, party gaming, I, I think some people are going to get use out of the eight player smash, but the, the smash board to me is the more pr promising feature by far. Sure. Is the Smash board, does that include um, online play? No, unfortunately, no, it's only local. Uh, that's a bit of a shame. Yeah. yeah. No, it's, I asked. It's, you know, it's similar to Mario Party in that way. Yeah. Right. But then, like, the meat of the game is still, the, the you know, 
the combat, so I, I sure. don't know why they couldn't have had it online. Uh, it's unfortunate. It's, um, I mean, it's the same reason that they don't put Mario Party online. They they view that that environment as part of the fun. Like, yeah, it's not that they can't; it's that they won't. It's that they feel mm-hmm. like yeah. it, it Which, compromises part of what makes the game enjoyable. That almost makes it worse. It saves the time of <laughs> testing. Also, well, yeah. and and you know, I, I'm sure they've tried it. I'm sure they've yeah. they've made it, and they probably went, oh, this. Actually, Mario Party's not very good. Playing it over the internet make doesn't really help you very much. I mean, I'm I'm fairly confident they've built a Mario Party that they played in different rooms and went, "Wow, this kind of sucks solo." Even if you <laughs> right. didn't that. exactly right, yeah. And of course, Smash Brothers is is not the, that's not the case. So, um, I it's it certainly seems in the realm of possibility that they could add it later if they continue to uh, you know fill out these modes and uh, mm-hmm. if they get a lot of requests for it, maybe they would consider it. Cause you know, obviously we know smash brothers runs online. It's still fun when you play it online yeah. and um, it doesn't seem like there's anything about smash board that would make it more difficult to do that part online. Uh, since, you know, a lot of that, it's just, you know, it's, it's me's on a, on a game board and then they play smash brothers together, which that part's already been taken care of. Right. Um, but it would just be more work to, you know, like you said, to, to get it tested and, and prove it out. But, uh, you know, if people really want it, maybe they'll add it later. Yeah, that, that would be nice. That That's one thing that I brought up. I said, well, this game can be patched. Now it's online. So, you know, fingers crossed, uh, maybe, maybe... The sky's the limit. I Ooh. guess, yeah. Um, so another... The, the other main game that I played, uh, there were four levels of Captain Toad playable. <laughs> and uh, the game is just adorable. Uh, but it's also yep. kind of a known quantity because, uh, from what I've seen, you know, they, they, I didn't, I didn't notice any kind of additional graphical flourishes compared to the Captain Toad levels in the Super Mario 3D world. And I, I didn't really see that many, uh, new mechanics. Um, it, it's basically the, the same type of game, but you're going to get more of it. You know, it's these small levels that, uh, you, you, uh, you, you move uh, Captain Toad around and camera movement is probably one of the main mechanics of the game because you always have to play with it uh, to get the angle of view exactly right to be able to see like this one elusive piece of, of treasure or these coins or things like that that you couldn't see normally. Uh, or, you know, there, there might be a hazard somewhere and, you, you know, sometimes you might be tempted to just push uh, Captain Toad around and, and uh, have him try to, to cross the, this bridge because, well, you know, like nothing's going to happen. But then, like, you didn't see that uh, there was a thing of lava that happened to you fall down. You fucking killed him, him, didn't you? Oh, I did. A couple you of times. You son of a bitch. And he laughed, <laughs> yeah. James. He laughed. Yeah, it's not, <laughs> it's it's, not it's, you, it's, John. Jesus. It's not, it's not a super <laughs> easy game. Um, I, yeah, I did die a couple of times. And the, the camera... You know, like it's, it's really primordial that learned, that you learn to control it. Uh, it doesn't, there's no, it's not automatic in any way. Uh, just in super, just like in Super Mario 3D World, uh, it kind of works, uh, the way it does in the Wind Waker on GameCube. You know, like once you move the camera somewhere, it stays there. So, uh, yeah, you can't, you can't be hands off with it. Um, and no, it, so, it turns it into kind of a twin stick game almost because yeah. you know, even though the movement is simple and there's no jumping, so you don't necessarily need face buttons most of the time, it's more about the movement and managing that camera and moving the camera around 
and being fully aware of your surroundings in the full 3D space, which they really they make good use of that 3D space and mm -hmm. these levels. Um, that's very important, and it, that's a skill that you have to develop as you play it. Yeah, it's a so it's a twin stick game basically, except that you do need to press the B button to run. I I didn't try to use the trigger buttons. I don't think they allowed you to run, uh, which is a shame because you would want to keep the, your thumbs and both uh, control sticks at the same uh, at all times. Maybe you'll be um, able to customize it. We'll see. Yeah, maybe. Also, they they let you use uh, motion controls to control the camera, but unless you're looking, unless the way you're playing the game is looking at the gamepad screen. It doesn't really work because, you know, you're at some point you're not going to be facing your TV anymore. Uh, so it doesn't really, you know, it's not really a good replacement. Well, you mentioned that there there don't really seem to be any new mechanics, but there are in that game. They might not have been in the levels that you played, but uh, they're adding. No, yeah. they're, they're relatively minor things, but you know, he can pull up turnips now, like in Mario Two, uh, and those uh, can be used for certain things. Right. Um, they added the uh, you know, there's the minecart levels. I don't know how many of right. those there will be. But, no, uh, I, I, I did play that. It was a uh, brief, but yeah, it was pretty fun. And you're using the motion controls to to aim around and shoot your turnips. Mm -hmm. um, I did ask how early uh, how early you you unlock Toadette, and they wouldn't tell me, and they wouldn't tell me like if there are any unlocks. And uh, I guess uh, at some point they're going to be ready to announce that stuff. Well, if you look at 3D World, there were there was a lot of secret stuff, a lot of bonus oh, yeah. content, and I, yeah. I bet you uh, Captain Toad will kind of follow a similar pattern. Yeah, and uh, one last thing: the 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 game like there was no timer. So you're free to, to stay in those levels for and take your time to solve them. Except there was a bus a bus stage, the one that we've seen in trailers with the dragon and the lava. And there's kind of an a, an implied timer there because the lava at some points is rising. Uh, mm -hmm. So you want to be as quick as possible. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, the the last game that I played, <laughs> I Guillaume. did not expect it to be there. Guillaume. Yes. Draw me like one of your deviant art, deviant art hedgehog girls. With your words. Um, so yeah, I, I've played Sonic Boom, uh, both the 3DS version and the Wii U version. Um, so the first one I tried was the 3DS one. Uh, I think you could play as Knuckles and um, Tails. Um, I didn't really spend that much time playing as Knuckles. You could switch between them at any time. Uh, in the area that I was in, Mostly it was Tails that was useful, and uh, there were these kind of these fans uh, shooting wind upwards. And so, you know, obviously you use his uh, kind of lightness and his uh, twin tails to, to gain uh, access to those higher areas with that. And then you switch with to Knuckles, and he can dig through ground, um, kind of like in Sonic Colors. You know, that whole drill uh, gimmick. So now it's back. Except it's not those, uh, I don't remember what they were called, but, uh, yeah, now it's just Knuckles. So not, not a whole lot of originality. Like it felt like I've seen this before. And also it felt like I've seen this done better before. <laughs> the, uh, the, the, the frame rate, even when I had the 3D turned off, uh, was very unimpressive. And, um, I, I, it was one of those levels where it was kind of a maze and there's not really, in, there was one loop de loop that I, I went through like one part where I could actually uh, go at, you know, at a high speed and it did not feel like Sonic to me. 
You know, I, 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 I know that Sonic is not just about the, the speed and going through a level, you know, going to the right as fast as you can. Uh, it's not always about that, but uh, it's usually the, the parts that are the most fun. And in this case, like, it just felt like a weird non-Sonic third-party 2D platformer that was kind of mm-hmm. generic. So I, I did not enjoy it. And uh, Sonic's had a pretty spotty past on 3DS, you know. Yeah. On, Just on, on 3DS, DS. though. Everything else, <laughs> fine. Well, I, I, I only say that because on the GBA and the, and the original DS, those Sonic games a lot of times were considerably better than the console games being made at the time. Yeah, I think, uh, they were. Strongest the 3DS, statement. Well, they, you know, they, they haven't, uh, they haven't really been able to, to maintain that level of quality with the 3DS games, it seems like. I think a couple of them are kind of okay. I think Sonic Colors got some decent reviews, but, uh, in general, they don't really seem to be as good as the, as the, the previous handheld games from previous years. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I did not, uh, linger with the, <laughs> with that, uh, demo. Um, and I went to the Wii U version. So and... wait, you said, no, thank you. And then so actually, I'm going to eat from this trough of the same shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, same, but kind of different shit. Um, <laughs> uh, how do I follow that up? Um, well, yeah, so okay, the Wii U version, a little bit different because it's not completely 2D. Actually, I don't think I've seen like a 2D part. It's like a 3D adventure. Uh, but again, what is up with a frame rate? I don't get it. Like, you would think that would be one thing that the team would try to get right. You know, like, it's a Sonic game. There's probably going to be, probably going to be some high-speed action <laughs> scenes. Not guaranteed. You know, fingers crossed. It's just crossed. fucking called Sonic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, fingers crossed there's going to be some speedy scenes in there. Um, but, no, like, the the, the very noticeably uh, low frame rate and uh kind and of, course, of crappy you were animation the final version of the game to true be fair. so they, true they i don't do know optimization we'll i don't see. know how old this uh version is it was but yeah maybe it's the e3 demo i hope not well i hope so actually because that would were mean you, was there like kind of a bunch of lava and mining equipment uh it was kind of green goop um you know sonic loves the environment you uh, see. it doesn't sound like the demo that i saw Right, so it was like an industrial level. Everything was uh, metallic and uh, green goop, and uh, I was chased at some point by some robot that was like kitty, kitty, kitty. I don't know. It, whatever. <laughs> it's like Gee, a nightmare. Gee, stop, stop. Did you just like huff paint and then imagine this whole event? Cause... Yeah, it sounds really like it could be some sort of acid trip or nightmare. <laughs> it sounds like what I would make up if I was making a fake article about a Sonic game. I picked up. I picked up the controller. After someone else was like, I'm done with this. So, you know, <laughs> I don't the have the whole... authentic Sonic Boom E3 experience. No, yeah. I don't need to play anymore. I'm I good. don't have the whole context. Nobody finished that demo at E3. <laughs> it was an industrial area. You could play as Sonic or as Amy. And you can really tell, you know, Nintendo has this philosophy of kind of, or at least they claim to, or they used to have this philosophy of designing the games first and then making the characters around that uh, gameplay or maybe inserting a past character and uh, an existing character in that gameplay. Uh, but here you really have the other philosophy of we've got a bunch of characters. Um, let's make a game with them and let's try to justify their presence. So what I found funny is that the, yeah, so you can play as Sonic as, and as Amy, 
uh, and Amy has this big mallet, you know, this big hammer that she can swing around, but it's basically just a regular attack. Like, Sonic can kick, and his kicks have basically, from what I could see, have the same effect, like have the same range and have the same power as her uh, hammer. So there's no reason for her really to, to be wielding that. Like, it doesn't make, uh, it doesn't give her a special ability at all. So the developer decided, well, she's got to have something special. And so they made these pink rails that only Amy can grab and walk on. Because uh, they're pink. I guess, I it's, guess it's that only... It's, to pink. it's the pink DK64 bananas. I guess that Knuckles, all the men, all the manly men in the Sonic world won't touch pink. Well, to be so fair, to Amy. Knuckles is juicing in this game. I mean, look at him. <laughs> Uh, anyway, so, you know, like, it, it felt kind of shoehorned in, and, um, again, like, I couldn't really see, there was one scene, you know, the, the one I mentioned where I was chased by this big robot, uh, it was one of those, uh, run towards the screen and collect coins, uh, collect the rings, sorry, as you go, that you see sometimes in Sonic games, but other than that, the, the Sonic didn't feel speedy at all, and, uh, a lot of time was spent in combat, and the, the combat just felt atrocious. Like it, it felt the the characters felt stiff, and it felt like I was playing kind of a PlayStation or a Nintendo sixty four era platformer where there's lots of melee combat, and where you're not really sure if you've hit the enemy, like if you've connected or if you've got hit mm. by it, and uh, not a good impression at all. No, nope. mm. are you implying a Sonic game may be regressive? Intendances. I, I just... think that, I don't know. From what I played of Sonic Boom back at E3, I thought it was bad in a somewhat different way than other Sonic <laughs> games have been. <laughs> right. I mean, I mean my, my takeaway from that and from the promotional stuff they've started doing now because they're really starting to hype it up, but for, even from what Guillaume says, my takeaway has always been this was a game made in conjunction with the Disney XD cartoon in the toy series. Right. This, this is, yeah, this is a, a multimedia event. Yeah, and it's a different developer. I think they're like former yeah, Naughty Dog people, yeah, maybe. Yes. Or... So yeah, they uh, they made a very different game. It doesn't feel at all like Sonic Color. Uh, I actually like on the Wii. I, mm -hmm. I haven't talked about it in the show, but it's a it's a decent game. It's mostly two D, but like even the three D stuff uh, is decent. And it's Sonic, fun. Yeah. yeah, it's not not amazing, but it, it's good and it, it's enjoyable. Right, and, and Sonic World. Uh, what's it called? The Wii U one. Oh, it, uh, Sonic Lost World. Yeah. From last Sonic year. Lost World. Like, I, I haven't played the full game, but the demo, even though it does have some issues, at least it kind of felt like Sonic was Sonic. You know, the jump uh, went that, you know, as high as he usually jumps and the, the, the running around kind of felt Sonic-y. But this feels very much like <laughs> Crash Bandicoot. <laughs> so sorry, sorry. I, I was joking about Sonic Boom, the TV show, and there actually is going to be a Sonic Boom TV show. But it's going to be on, yeah, yeah. It's no, be on Cartoon it. Network, not Disney XD. My mistake. Uh, <laughs> right. No, oh, no, I that, I that's how they announced joking, it. I joking, James. No, I, I didn't realize the, there was a TV show coming. Yeah, that was the original announcement. I mean, the game is oh, essentially Oh, God, that's a, right. It, yeah. It's basically a TV <laughs> series licensed game. Oh. So it's, and the right. circle is anyway, now complete. It's, it's generic. I don't know that we need to harp on I'm it too depressed. much. Right. It's it, Sonic Boom is is generic as hell, and uh, yeah. pretty pretty mm. low expectations for how that's going to turn out. Yeah, 
Like, I, I feel like the people who are looking for something that feels like a Sonic game are going to be disappointed, you know, even if they found some enjoyment out of Last World or Sonic Color or, you know, any of the 3D games, they're not going to find the same thing here. Uh, definitely rent it or check out a demo or something before you buy it, because this is a completely different game than what you're expecting. We've talked for a long time about how Sega, you know, doesn't seem to be too interested in hanging on to the Sonic fan base. They... They seem to, you know, be the, the, all they care about is can we bring in new kids because you know there's always a young generation who's heard of Sonic but hasn't necessarily played it, and uh, Sonic Boom feels like the ultimate example of that to me because they're they're resetting the franchise so hard but they're not really doing anything very interesting with it that you know it's just it's different it's different mm -hmm. in a way that will turn off the people who've actually stuck with Sonic over the years and uh, and I think mm -hmm. Sega. Uh, and whatever you know, media production companies they've they've partnered up with for all these other, uh, you know, the TV show and the comic book or and the toys or whatever that they're doing with it. I think they just feel like they feel confident that they can market this to uh, a fresh young set of of fans and not really worry about all the people they're going to piss off. Yeah, that's how it came across to me when I played it for sure. It doesn't sound like they've changed much, but you know, we don't know how old that demo that you played is. It could still be part of the E3 demo. I didn't play all the E3 demo. I played played it for ten minutes and I'd had enough, but there was there was more to it for sure. Yeah, um, but even so, if it I'm... gets technically up to snuff and uh gets polished a little bit with the, the collision detection, the combat, I it's still gonna be um kind of a weird game that that's still generic. Yeah, the yeah. technical yeah, issues are just uninspired. are just icing on top of the problem cake. I, I, I mean, exactly. to me though, the takeaway, I'm, my guess is this probably is a pretty close to final build of the game because the game's coming out what, like next month? Pretty soon. Because yeah. yeah. the, the show premieres, thank you, Wikipedia, in like a week. So my guess mm -hmm. is the game probably launches about the same time. So mm. that might be the game. <laughs> well, it's got a good title. Um, so anyway, Guillaume, anything else you want to say about this event before we move on? Well, um, disclosure I hear is important uh, these days. So yeah, I did get free uh, cookies and, and crap uh, from from this event. So just want to get that out there. Well, it's about yeah. ethics and cookie journalism. You know? It's good to know. Good to know. Okay. Well, why don't we move on and uh, let's hear, uh, James. Why don't you fill us in a little bit on the the latest news about quality of life, and, and we can have a group discussion about sure. Do, do uh, we care about this? And is it? I mean, I mean, is it worth discussing, or do, what is it even? Uh, that's that's kind of a question that a lot of sites are going to, Nintendo sites in general, are going to have to cover um, because it is so far outside of our our uh, AOR essentially. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. what we've got is Nintendo finally broke silence on quality of life about the time that I kind of guessed they would. Um, I kind of figured towards the end of the year because you try to get your self-improvement products on the market for, you know, early in the year to get people making, like, New Year's resolutions. Uh, sure. I don't know if they're actually going to get them out there early, but, I mean, this is kind of when we kind of thought they were going to talk. And they said they were going to talk about something this year, so it seemed like they were still real early, so end of year is what we're going to talk about. So what they've announced, and it's it's still real amorphous, it came as part of one of their investor briefings, and they didn't have to talk a lot about it this time. Like it did in previous times, they spent a ton of time on it because they were trying to deflect because the Wii U's done kind of well for them. So they didn't talk a ton about it. But what they announced is that they're partnering with a U.S. 
based company that produces primarily things for people who have uh, breathing problems when they sleep, apnea. And to make a device, a non-wearable device, i.e. it's not connected to you, that monitors your sleeping patterns and then reports them back up through an account-based service to something. Um, they, the device, from the sounds of it, is probably something this company already has some development work done on. If Nintendo's going to partner with somebody outside Japan, they probably had a product that Nintendo wanted to put their association with. So it sounds like, um, of the various options that were out there for what quality of life could be, the one Nintendo's going with is a family of devices, or perhaps even not even a family of devices, just devices that can call a common API that Nintendo has exposed for this sort of collective management of your health and wellness and mental acuity statistics that they are putting together. Essentially, they're going to make an ecosystem that products live in. So... While the specific announcement, something that monitors your sleep without physically monitoring you that we, you know, any way that we know of, may not be particularly interesting. It, it's, it does give us some clarity on what their longer term plans are for the quality of life system, which is that they are the gatekeepers of this information repository and some form of web portal to provide this information and to give it a home and that they are the, essentially the curator of what is reporting the information out. Whether or not they're going to brand the products in the environment as their products, or if it's going to be a sticker that can go on a box, works with Nintendo Quality of Life. We're going to find that out relatively soon. But it seems like what they've built, just based on the very limited information we have and a certain amount of productive reasoning, they're, they're going to be able to support both. Which means that they could position themselves in a way that lets them endorse products and make products compatible with their system and maybe take a small cut, but not actually be the primary risk taker on any individual product that launches into the marketplace. It's kind of a good place for them to be in because they don't have to spend money on R&D for specific health devices. They can sort of piggyback on and still make a little bit of dosh on the side. So <laughs> you, you can you can sort of read this as, as more of a shrewd business setup. They're, they're going to a place where yeah, there are lots of things in the market. You know, there are tablets and phones that track your health statistics now, although the market, since they announced Quality of Life, has just fucking falling out of the tablet market. So it's very, very good for them they didn't go there. But And at the same time, there's a lot of competing products coming in the market in the fitness right. and health. But, oh, but, yeah. they're all, but they're all, you know, they're all a device where the device is everything. This device does everything. It's, you know, this is... This one device has a specific purpose and everything lives on the device. You know, you can, you can dock to your computer and look at stuff and that. But this is, this is yep. more, this is more of a, of a broad approach to any, you can make any device you want as long as it talks back to this, this master account system. It could do mm -hmm. anything. They have essentially infinite flexibility to make devices to try to fill needs. So even if a specific device fails, it's utterly irrelevant because it's it's just one device in a whole swarm of devices. It's it's sort of a weird inversion of what they do in their hardware business, where they're the gatekeeper of the software and you make hardware to play into it, versus their hardware business where the gatekeeper of the hardware and you make software for it. But essentially, it's still the same kind of philosophy. They are they're sort of the masters of the domain, and you can make anything you want as long as it follows the rules. And they just take mm. they just take a little money off the top. Now, some of this is conjecture on your some part, of it, yeah. right, James? I mean, yeah, yeah. this is kind of how you see the strategy going forward based but on you're extrapolating from this first From this uh, and from other they things have. they've said in the past. Well, True. I mean, so they have this API. What are they going to do with it? A bunch of stuff pumps in information. And that's, that's, that's when and, they get – And 
why would you go to Nintendo for that? Right. Well, mm-hmm. right, right now right. there's not somebody doing that. There's not this this there's lots of things where you can enter your own information. But what they always have been talking about when they talk about quality of life is their ability to present information or to present an experience in an engaging way. So they they are almost certainly providing some form of front end that is, you know, super consumer centric. It probably gamifies in some extent, but probably not heavily. And you know, th- th- I, I'm going to bet it's similar to like in Wii Fit U. I don't know how many of you guys have, have tried this for yourself, but you know, you have the Fit Meter, of course, which is mm-hmm. uh, one of their earlier, maybe uh, you know, proto device attempts to to get into this uh, field. And uh, the 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 Fit Meter, when you plug when you we don't plug it in, but when you connect it over the infrared port to your gamepad, and you and you send in the uh, all the steps and the vertical uh, movement that you've been doing. Uh, it, it, the way it tracks that stuff is it, it, it adds it up into, you know, the number of steps, the, the miles or the, the, right. the vertical feet that you've traveled. And then you can choose on a map. There's all these different uh, landmarks or, or famous routes that you can take. So for, I'm currently, I'm on, I'm on a tour of Italy and <laughs> it goes through four or five major cities in Italy. And as you go along, you know, you, you just you choose that one from the map and you say enter my data and all the steps that you've taken since the last time that you uh, that you synced up the fit meter they go into uh, adding they add to your progress along this route and as you you know you see your me character moving along the map it's all very simple stuff you could easily do this on the web and uh, but as you go along it, it gives you little uh, little factoids about the place that you're traveling through. Uh, it, it shows you a little bit of artwork. Frankly, they could probably do a lot more with the presentation of it in terms of showing you photos, uh, maybe mm. videos, sure. providing more relevant information than the distance you traveled this week is equal to 634 times the length of an Indian elephant. Right. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> but I mean, that they could. Uh, and, and, and before, be, before even the fit meter, there's the 3DS uh, play coins. And uh, so they, they could right. also go that right. route and kind of incentivize people to, to gain these coins or this whatever yeah. these points. And then, uh, I don't know, you, you unlock bonuses, a different skin or, I don't know, cool, cute little toys or – Yeah, but I don't know. It, uh, they need to make you want to go to whatever the portal for this account system is, whatever whatever form yeah. that takes. So I, I think I think that's probably – I mean that's, that's certainly the, their, their responsibility in this arrangement. And I think I think it's interesting that the first company that they've contracted with is a company that makes CPAP devices. I mean that's mm-hmm. that's that's a company that is in a very 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 specialized field, and they are right. they are going out. I mean it's still a sleep device, but they they found somebody who makes super specialized devices and said, "Hey, make something different." So it's or or that company had something already out there and somehow managed to reach Nintendo. Like, how did Nintendo get in touch with this super specific company in America? Like, that's, to me, it either says that they've been putting out really, really quiet feelers that we haven't caught wind of, which would be impressive considering how broad that reach must have been to have reached these people. And they said, actually, we have something we want to show you. Or they're going to companies and doing a lot of research who they want to go to with ideas in hand and saying, hey, can you, can you make me something for this? Well, the point being, the part that Nintendo really brings to this, uh, we haven't seen yet, and we still don't right. know that much about. So I, I think you're on the right track, James, in terms of you know, the side that they're going to be responsible for and 
you know, you can you, you let your imagination run wild in terms of how they'll do this. And, and you know, like I said, it, you can maybe look to the stuff they've done in the past, but I'm sure they're going to be innovating as well. But we actually have someone on the panel today uh, who's worked in, uh, you know, in mobile software a lot, uh, things that, that track people's day-to-day -day activities. And, mm -hmm. Carl, I wonder if you could maybe give your insight a little bit into how lucrative do you think this stuff is? Does it does Nintendo seem like a company that would be good at running this kind of service? I mean, what do you think they might bring to the marketplace for this kind of product? So it's interesting that they're getting into this specific sort of um, you know this specific tracking marketplace. And I've used a, a handful of devices and apps that monitor you know sleep tracking, and obviously Apple's making a big step into this now with their new health app. And obviously, yeah, you're someone the, who's improved your Apple quality Watch. of life quite a bit uh, in recent months. Sure, yeah. Um, and you know, since since I started getting into exercising and, and, and fitness in general, I mean, I, I wear a Fitbit. Um, which tracks my steps and, um, actually does do sleep tracking as well. It monitors, it has an accelerometer and a gyroscope that sort of monitors your movement while sleeping, uh, and then tells you, it sort of supposes your quality of sleep based on that. Um, and, you know, it, it all plugs into a very, very elegant, um, sort of desktop UI that, uh, sort of shows all your stats and actually does very, very intuitive, um, uh, tracking of those steps, but also giving you, actual advice on what you should be doing different. And I think mm. that's where Nintendo needs to differentiate themselves because there's a million and one different things on the market now that track various vitals or, you know, sort of health, health stats. Um, you know, and, but they're actually in a really good place in that they, if anyone's going to successfully gamify fitness, Nintendo is the right person. Um, and secondly, also in that they have to be able to build, you know, they're going to have, if they're, if, if James is, is on the right track and they're going to have this whole suite of sort of third party devices that plug into sort of this centralized system that Nintendo's going to be controlling, they need to A, intuitively link these devices together, but they also need to, you know, create a way to incentivize the use of these devices. And so that, I think, I think that's what's most important. Secondly, I mean, the, the big thing is that, you know, this, the Fitbit service that I'm talking about, the, there's a very bare bones version that you get with just the device itself, but you actually have to pay in monthly to get these, uh, sort of, uh, insights. Um, and so, you know, as far as monetization goes, yes, you know, we, Nintendo has always been the type to make the money on their hardware and not, not think too much about sort of a recurring payment system, but, Honestly, there's not that much money. Like the, the margin on these things is usually not that much. Um, you know, when, especially when we talk about these devices. Right, they're I consumer mean, products. And consumer products right. have low margins. Exactly. So for Nintendo, it's really going to be important for them to monetize based on the software. Nintendo restore historically That's hasn't right. had they, any. They pretty much invented that for video games. You know, the whole licensing structure and, and saying, you know, we're <laughs> not really, we're not necessarily trying to become millionaires, billionaires, uh, by selling the system. We want to sell you the system and then, but we're going to make most of our money on license fees for the games that you need yeah. to buy in order to play those. Right. And that's something that Atari didn't really do. Um, they is kind of half-assed, but you remember Atari, you know, their intention, uh, with previous consoles was we'll just make all the software ourselves. Right. There were two companies right. making and, games for the Atari. That's it. Effect, yeah, and, uh, officially. Well, Activision stepped in, but then eventually but, people realized, oh, we could make our own Atari games. We don't really have to ask their permission. They're not that hard to make. And so all the, the weird, you know, dentist games and things like that that started coming out for the 2600, Atari didn't make any money on those. Mm -hmm. And Nintendo looked at that and said, oh, that's 
That's why you, you know, failed. That, that's no way to run a business. Uh, and so anyway, yeah, I just wonder if that same philosophy so, I mean, uh, I, might carry over I, and they'll find a way to, if not a monthly subscription, maybe there are software modules, maybe, yeah. you know, there I kinda are look games the street or, pass or stuff. kind of game alternatives that they would sell mm. that would let you use the data that you're collecting through these devices uh, in different ways, and that becomes the sort of expandability, and that's maybe that's the way that they uh, hey, primarily make their money on it. I'm the Street Pass Rabbit, and I'm going to sell you these other games. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I mean that, that's actually a really good example because they gave you this. Suite what if you can of games. haggle on the prices? Yeah, yeah, they right. gave you this suite of games and said, but you know, we've got these other ones we can sell you. Right, and I mean. So, okay, then essentially there's, there's zero cost beyond development on all, every single one of those games. It's just, did mm. give you money, here is an unlock code for your website thingy. Right. Done. Mm. I mean, you know, if you look at it, Fitbit it, it, as a company has made uh, a successful business model out of selling sort of lifestyle health devices. They have a full, a full suite of these things from, you know, wearables to scales to, you know, scanners like the one that, that we're talking about now. I mean, and, and they've been able to do it successfully, uh, but they also are much more in control of the, you know, the hardware and the software married together. And so they all work extremely well in sync. I'm, I think it's very, I don't know. I'm, I'm very skeptical of Nintendo's ability to successfully integrate the interplay between third party devices. And, and we don't know how liberal they're going to be with allowing just anybody in the right. door. I mean, they, they, we don't know. they may handhold yeah, everything. They may just say, here's the API, go fucking nuts. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I mean that wouldn't be a very then yeah. move, but at the same time, that may be the move that gets in the most money. Also, when have we ever known Nintendo to create a fantastic API and then send that off to people? When I mean, hey, yeah. we've known them to create <laughs> them. And they can't then even not, send that to their then own not people. Not let anyone see it. Yeah. Hey, we've got this yeah. awesome API. It's ours. Get fucked, yeah, get the that, that's the really weird yeah. side of this to me is that you know the way we're the, at least the way we're framing it. This may be a little out of step with reality, but. We don't. We still don't know that much about the whole uh, strategy, but the way that we're framing it makes it sound like, uh, uh, you know, Nintendo's role in this is really to provide a service, to provide the networking, the connectivity. Um, they're strong suit. That is, that yeah, exactly. That talent. is the complete opposite of what they're good at. So it's really weird to me that See, they I, I look would at partner that, up with I, a with an outside hardware company and then, mm-hmm. you know, and and then let them handle that part of it. Um, and then Nintendo would just be kind of but, doing the service. I mean, Nintendo as far as far as we know, company. as far as we know, they yeah. may have they may have another business partner who's running, you know, the architecture end, and they're just providing the end of all right. Here's here's what here's what you can do with you know the actual physical architecture. Here's how to make. Mm-hmm. To, Here's, here's what so the front end looks like. So they've rehired GameSpy is what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, we don't, we don't know how deep this insane web of companies may go. But I mean, keep in mind, they found a company in North America that makes devices you put on your face so you don't die because you can't breathe. I mm. mean, they, they've they already gone pretty far out there on finding companies. Right. I mean, this mm-hmm. to say they're outside their, their wheelhouse right now is an understatement. I would have I never... Mean, in a million years, believe me, if you told me this was the first company they were going to work with. I mean, here's the thing. Honestly, if I were Nintendo, this the the game that I would get into would be the enterprise side of this. 
um, in that there is a lot of money to be made to for for making and supplying a sort of linked network of health monitors to actual like hospitals and places that do uh, studies like like uh, sure. like sort of extended studies. So, so that's where the money is. I mean, that's that's honestly, if I were Nintendo, that's where that's and a, the consumer electronics for for health monitoring is honestly a very low margin industry. But it's that end. Maybe that's the end. Maybe that's how they build yeah, up. That's, that's how they build up the device network. But again, why would any hospital go to Nintendo for this? Well, but keep I mean, in mind, yeah, you, you, you can go to companies for different things. I mean, you not yeah. not every company. Yeah, but those companies I mean, are like Apple, IBM, and Microsoft, and companies like that, not Nintendo. I, I yeah. the they're not John like, they're not like Sony. The only company – to me, the, the reason you would go to Nintendo to do this is if Nintendo is the only company doing it. I mean, if they're going to mm-hmm. come up whatever, with some yeah, implementation of this that's yeah. unique yeah. – um, yeah, I mean, and, we're not. I'm not suggesting they're going to become seen. a Zaibatsu, but I mean, they may. It's it's not. <laughs> they, they are spinning this off as a second business unit. I'm not spinning it off. That's right. a business term. That's not what I mean. They are setting this up as a second business unit. So it's right. You know, they're, they're right, but presumably it will still have the Nintendo name attached to it. I would which, assume it will. Yeah, you know, it means yeah. something to virtually everyone on the planet. Right. So right. well, I, I, to me, the interesting part for us, and we're not. This is not something we're going to be talking about. You know, week to week going forward. Um, but uh, for me, the the interesting part is just, you know, to to what extent is this a completely separate business? And will there be ways in which they try to connect it back into their core video game business? You know, do they release a version of this software for the 3DS that lets you, uh, you know, import all of your, your health data into that and use that as a portal, uh, you know, if you don't own a laptop? Or uh, do they uh, produce some kind of, you know, Mario teaches typing type software that lets you uh, turn your your health and fitness data, your sleep quality data, whatever, uh, into something that had, that takes advantage of their character roster or, you know, somehow gamifies that stuff. I mean, maybe they don't at all. Maybe they're just, yeah. uh, right. Or, or I would, I'm just wondering about how they're going to incorporate their past expertise stuff. in love motels. Uh, John, <laughs> that's, that's a different kind of quality of sleep. Look, I, look, I, I think honestly, you're seeing a lot of, Really large consumer uh, consumer electronics uh, companies looking to get into the sort of lifestyle industry. Right. I think I um, think that's, the tricky part is figuring out what approach you want to use, and it seems yeah. like they've got an approach that they're happy with. That- right. Look, I mean, look, Sony was able to carve out a successful, you know, corner of the insurance game. So why not Nintendo and the lifestyle? Well, business? to be fair, right now Sony's not carved out a successful corner of a bunch of any games. So no, no. I mean, here's the thing: that's like the one area of the company that's doing like super, super well is their insurance. It's ridiculous. Yeah, <clears throat> Sony though, but I mean, but Sony's a massive conglomerate that does a whole bunch of ridiculous. But, but, shit. but keep I mean, in mind, they, Sony wasn't always. Konami a massive. owns a chain of. Konami owns a chain of a, a chain of like twenty four hour gyms in Japan. Oh yeah, but keep mm-hmm. mind, so, Sony fun. made rice make rice cookers at some point. At some mm-hmm. point, they were a company that makes rice cookers. I mean, this <laughs> That's is just so bizarre. This is Japan. These kinds of <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, it's true. Sam, it's Japan. Samsung runs a, yep. which is the Korean company, but runs a runs a branch. It's a construction company. Why? I don't right. know. They just do. They made the Burj Khalifa. They built the fucking yeah. Burj Khalifa. I mean, just, yeah. I mean, it's, these companies, especially when you're starting to deal with kind of Asian, Asian companies are willing to go branch out into different fields and become these mm-hmm. different amalgamous yeah. forms of just like, I yeah. do this and I do this and I also do this. They don't really work together, but we, we can do yeah. it. 
I mean, look, we don't know if this is their parachute out of video games in general. I mean, it could just yeah. could literally be anything, you know. Not, well, you know, let's not, let's you not know, say that. That's, that's gonna we're gonna get a letter. We're gonna get <laughs> a letter for the Carl. You don't have to fucking deal with the letters, okay? I, I don't. It's true. I mean, anyone. hey, you know, maybe if, <laughs> maybe if the games don't do well, fall back in quality See, of life. Because <laughs> notice, I, I pointed out they didn't talk about this much this time because actually the Wii U had a pretty good quarter for Nintendo. Which, yeah. which is why that, which is why that was way more of Iwata's uh, investor yeah. briefing because he could talk about that and not feel like he was going to cry. Mm. No, the Wii U is definitely, you know, it's trending in the right direction. It's it's coming from a deep dark hole, but uh, it is headed in the right direction, and we'll see how long it can sustain that. But uh, there, it does seem that there's a there's a silver lining for Nintendo on the Wii U front for sure. Um, Anyway, guys, why don't we move on and uh, wrap up the show with a preview of next weekend's telethon? And Wait, what? Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We got a we got a telethon to talk about, folks, and it is going to be fantastic. Not good, not great, fantastic. Uh, we have a lot of really, really awesome segments to get through, so I'm just gonna do a quick rundown, talk about what we got planned for you guys. First off, kicking it off at November eighth. 12 o'clock Eastern Time. That is 12 noon. We have, first up, new business, our impressions of the latest games with special guests. Johnny, you're hosting that segment. I'm imagining maybe one or two of the RFN guys might be there as well. We'll see. Um, I will all be there, but I'm going to call an audible and say, we probably won't do new business. Instead, let's do listener mail. Since we, we've had to punt listener mail a couple mm-hmm. of weeks in a row here, we have a bunch of questions, you know, a lot of, a lot of things to talk about recently. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, we've been getting some really good emails. We could do that live. You know, a lot of times those end up being really good discussions anyway. It'll be mm-hmm. a good warm up for the show. We'll have a sure. cover a, a, a broad range of topics, uh, whatever people want us to talk about. And then, uh, I think it'll segue really nicely into some live call ins where people can, uh, keep the the questions and 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 uh, discussion topics coming, uh, and I think we'll very easily fill up an hour of of live radio, live podcasting uh, with that stuff. So uh, uh, most definitely, let's 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 plan to do that rather than the new business. I mean, if there's a you know, I think there there might be a new game coming out between now and then that uh, we could. Uh, drop a little bit of knowledge on, but uh, let, let's try to focus maybe on catching up with the listener mail, and I think that'll be a good uh, warm-up segment, which is what that really is. It's it's a way For to sure. kick the day off with uh, some familiar it's your, it's voices. It's your stretching and, and calisthenics. Sort of get the ball rolling. Well, yeah, and the, the, the call-in part is always fun because, you know, like, <laughs> you can get surprises, and you, you get to talk to uh, the listeners, and who knows, maybe we'll hear about the this show's next editor or something. <laughs> or, or, because, or because it's happened before. Or because the first hour of call-ins is just going, damn it, why aren't the call-ins working? Oh, we'll have that kind of fun, I'm sure. But, uh, you know, I mean, think of it this way, folks. If you guys have ever heard the guys talk, for, you know, answer listener mail while you're listening to your earbuds and you've been screaming at them, no, 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 you're not answering it right. Now is your chance to get on the mic when after these guys answer some listener mail and say, no, 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 you were wrong. This is the real way to say it. And then you this go. is your this is good, your chance. Good motivation. Yeah. Uh, second up, coming in at 1 p.m. Eastern. Same crew will be sticking around to talk about their top five personal games of all time. God it's a very weighty. It. It's a very weighty and important segment. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. I, Historically important. I think it's that's, uh, historically I, I, significant. That's. I imagine. So, I imagine tears will be shed. Uh, you know, some some scars will be present. It's going to be an interesting one, folks. I mean. When 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 Johnny talks about how much he loves Chrono Trigger, he is for serious. 
Yeah, mine's all oh, yeah. twenty six. Mine's all Atari twenty six hundred games. By the way, you mean they're Atari mm-hmm. ST games? Oh, okay. Atari ST. <laughs> the Last Ninja Two. That's I almost would sort have, of. I almost sort of not true. I don't know. I almost would have expected you to throw down some like in television sports games. Mm. Television think boxing. About it. It's... it does look like two M's punching each other in the face. Yeah, <laughs> barnstorming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's a segment that we wanted to do on RFN 400 and uh, didn't have time. So we've already done a lot of the preparation for that. And, yeah, and I've forgotten um, it all already. Didn't talk... Well, you should have written it down like I did. But uh, uh, we didn't elegant. talk about our choices that much, but I think we're all kind of on the same page in terms of the mm-hmm. the, the approach and, and what we want it to be. And, mm-hmm. uh, again, because it's a live show, I'm excited to have people call in and tell us about their uh, favorite games of all time because mm-hmm. uh, we learn a lot about each other. Uh, I actually... <laughs> I actually had to discuss my favorite game of all time today during a job interview with an aerospace company. So mm-hmm. uh, you can learn a lot from someone uh, by uh, by talking about this stuff. So I think it'll be pretty fun. Yeah. Well, coming in next at 2 p.m. Eastern, Who Wants to Be a Nintendo Air returns, uh, I think, for its third year on the telethon. Mm-hmm. And it's always super fun. And we get I mean, a break. Scott, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, the most important part Scott, there, we get a break. <laughs> and you get a break from us. Sure. Sure, there's that too. Uh, you know, Scott and, uh, and, and Nate really, really hit it out of the park with this stuff. And, uh, you know, it's. Is Nate confirmed to be coming back for that? I haven't heard from him in a while. I believe so, yes. Um, and so. He's a great guy. Yeah, yeah. Awesome dude. So, I mean, you, you guys, you guys already know and love who wants to be Nintendo Air. So it's just, it's just more of a thing that you crave. More of that Nintendo Air goodness. Um, then it's the segment that I know fuck all about, um, and that is John and James are unlicensed to drive. Probably they should be unlicensed to podcast, but for some reason I've given them a segment. So, so this segment um, could be a real, a real. Indeed, I, I'm Corey Haim. James is Corey Feldman, by the way. So, are you Corey? Mm. Are you? Wait, what? I'm definitely Corey Haim. I mean, come wait a minute. On. Wait, wait, wait. Cause... Have you seen me? I mean, uh, so John, have you actually done any research yet? <laughs> have you done any research yet, John? Uh, no, I haven't done any. Research. Son of a bitch, John. <laughs> Oh, oh, don't worry, man. I'm good. Well, speaking of old favorites, uh, 4 p.m. brings us Radio Trivia Live. TYP knocks out of the park every year. He has, I think, every single year since we've been doing this telethon. So for the fifth year in the row, in a row, you'll be hearing some great video game music. Uh, guessing about what awesome game it is. We'll be handing out some fabulous prizes. I meant, I forgot to say that about, uh, connectivity as well. We will be handing out some really, really rad prizes. So, uh, you're definitely going to want to tune in for those. Um, I think he up. has some really exciting uh, special guest hosts. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That. But uh, but you know, in the in the live version, the really fun part is that the people listening actually mm-hmm. get to participate and and you know answer the game and the bonus questions and uh, and win prizes. So it's a, it's a good bit different than the normal podcast edition. It goes back to the roots of that show. Yeah, for sure. Um, then next up at 5 p.m. Eastern, ten years later, how the DS ushered in the touch generation. Uh, our own uh, Addison Webb will be talking about, um, uh, you know, basically all about how the DS has really, really changed the way that we look at not only handheld games, but games in general. And CJ from uh, Chris Johnson from the Player One podcast will be there. Uh, we may have other uh, awesome guests as well, but um, I know, James, you're going to be on that I segment am, as well, aren't you? And it sounds like Addison will actually be here. As it, yeah, in the room. Yes, physically in this room yeah. doing that segment with me. Mm-hmm. Which, awesome. Sparks, sparks will Which fly. Which is weird. Sure. <laughs> it's like, wait, what? 
That's yeah. right, because we found out you guys went to the same high school or something. Yeah, and like he's going to be in town for something else that weekend. So it's like, well, I yeah. guess, yeah, sure. This is That's all awesome. his. This is all his elaborate high school revenge to kill you. Oh, we, weren't, we weren't there together, <laughs> so yeah. I'm, I'm a good bit older. Hmm. All right. Well, next up at 6 p.m. Start Tank. Nintendo Free Radio dives into Kickstarter. I'm talking to Donald and the rest of the crew there. They've got some really, really cool discussion points to talk about with Kickstarter. Um, it's been kind of a banner year for for Kickstarter games over the last year. So, um, especially with a lot of them finally being released. So they've they've got a, a lot of really, really cool stuff to talk about there. Um, I think you'll I think you'll definitely want to tune in for it. Um, next at seven, Famicast Live, Cast and Harder, Danny Bivens. James Charlton, more folks. I think John Riccardi's gonna show up. Yeah, you heard it right. John Riccardi will be there. Finally. He's been like booked like for the last three years. He never makes it. And so we shouldn't fun. say he's, he's gonna be there yet. Yeah. He's been booked every single time, I think, for the last three years, and for whatever reason something's always come up. Um but he's gonna be there this year. And uh first personally, Famicast Live is usually like in my top three for favorite segments. Um, every year we do them. That, those are always super, super good. I'll never forget the year that, uh, JC, Danny, and the 84 guys talked about, uh, hot springs in Japan and having to see old men's junk. So you have that to look forward to. <laughs> oh, God, that's a memorable moment. We became all very silent for <laughs> a sudden. Yeah, for, yeah, all of a sudden. Oh. Yeah. Relive it live. For the children. With us. We did that for the children. Yeah. We talked about Both old kids. men's junk for children. Yeah. Uh, next up is my favorite se- segment and the only one that I host, uh, and that is shenanigans. Please understand because we don't. Um, and that is basically anything we need to be. We might do some listener mail. We might, uh, or listener calls, I should say. We might, uh, wrap up some discussions that got cut off for time earlier. Might bring on some special guests that haven't even been booked yet. Anything could happen in shenanigans and you decide. All right. And I do have some stretch goals to talk about as well. Now, usually we've been a little bit more cagey about stretch goals and what we might do for more money, but really this year we're doing it all for more money. Uh, so Give us your off, money. <laughs> yeah. First off, the we're, we are going to actually have uh, well, like last year's. Well, well, you're giving it. Uh, you're will... giving it to us as a proxy for the charity. Exactly. Like, actually, sure. not even that. Not even that. We don't need. Actually, we, we Jim, right, I'm actually gonna never give it no money exchange yeah. answer, hands folks. At all, but. That, yeah, that, I, that I, is I'm not actually... a true statement, Sean Lindemann. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm... <laughs> oh, money does exchange <laughs> hands, just not our hands. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that, Doug James. So one of the things that's actually really great about the way that we handle this is the through Child's Play, we use a special donation widget, uh, which you can find on the site on the site article. And because of that, we actually never touch a cent of this. Every single Penny that's donated to us goes straight to Child's Play and helping children in need. So understand that this is not something where we take a cut off the top that to keep things going. This is all done for the love of the charity. So it's, it really is a, a great cause. Um, but having said that nice and weighty and an important thing, let me get to the other uh, part where I talk about stupid movies. Um, at 9 p.m. Eastern, if we raise $5,000, which is $1,000 more than our goal of 4000 we will bring back Box Office Poison Live, the podcast all about movies and movie things. Uh, Johnny, of course, well acquainted with it, being a, uh, a regular on the show over at Crosstalk.com. And Johnny, I think I'm ready to announce what movie we're going to be talking about. You know, it, it was oh hard. Boy. It, it was it, it was hard to to think about part you know another doing this again because last year we did you know Mario Brothers the movie and that's what yeah the, how do I you mean, follow what, that up I mean what acid. the fuck you followed up with acid um <laughs> you just <laughs> drop so, acid and experience life all right I mean open the door get on the floor everybody do the dinosaur you know what I'm talking about mm-hmm. so 
Yeah, so, but this Ouch. year, we are, we are tackling the 1999 Stone Cold Classic, Wing Commander. Oh, dear God. Oh, my God. <laughs> Starring Freddie Prince oh, Jr., Matt God. Lillard, and the voice of Mark <laughs> Hamill, oddly enough. Oh, oh wow. wow. Yeah, yeah, and uh, by the way, Wing Commander did come out on Super Nintendo at one point, mm-hmm. so it is uh, yeah. technically a Nintendo-related franchise. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we have even more stretch goals. Guys, we have even more. Even more stretch get- goals, Carl? Even more! So we have, for $6,000, <laughs> we were going to have a post-telethon, you know, to be, to be uh, determined date, uh, to catch a prehistoric predator with Zach Miller. <laughs> dear Lord. I mean, uh, dear Lord. That's, what have we done? That's brilliant. Can a school be to not what? do this one? For the children, by the way. For the children, we are going to yes. have a segment called to catch a prehistoric predator. Children, yeah, yeah. children, children love dinosaurs. God help me. Yeah. So not the rest of you fucks, just me. Yeah. So <laughs> Zach's gonna get on, he's gonna get on the mic live, talk about dinosaurs, oh, pterosaurs, no. anything you want to know about. He will go on and talk about it at length. So those of us who know Zach Miller know <laughs> he can talk about these this shit forever, and he will on the mic for your listening pleasure. So and, and as, as if that wasn't enough for seven thousand dollars, folks. Connectivity Live event. Last year they did it. They're going to try to do it again this year if we get to $7,000 to be determined as far as what they're going to actually be talking about. Uh, but well, they might decide by the, by the day of the telethon, but, uh, yeah, yeah or they we'll might decide out. during a telethon like we do. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, for $8,000, these schmoes will be talking, uh, on a live event. And that is the Radio for Nintendo live event for $8,000. Go. Now, you might be saying to yourself, $8,000, how the hell are these guys going to raise $8,000? Well, I'll have you know, last year we almost raised $8,000, so maybe this will push it over the edge. Yep, and as of this yep. recording, we're at almost 2000 What? Whoa, exactly. wait, are we? What the hell happened? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're well on the way. What the hell happened? Mm-hmm. We that's why we... That's why I have so many stretch goals. <laughs> Holy yes. shit, like that, that's a big jump from where we were like two days ago when I looked at it. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's exciting yeah, we, to, we, to keep we, an eye on Oh, my thing. God. <laughs> and it, right. I mean, look, the, the, the fact is, guys, I mean, you know, um, if you don't know what Child's Play is, and I think most of you do, but it, it, it sends games, consoles, and, toys. and lots of other stuff, toys to children in pediatric wards uh, all over the world, uh, primarily based in the U.S., but there are many sort of international hospitals that, that uh, take part. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember, I, I, think, I think it might have even been... At this point, about seven or eight years ago, Johnny, you did a one-on-one interview with Mike Rahulik from Penny Arcade all about the charity um, that was really informative as far as how it came together and what the overall goals of the charity are. It's it's really, really worth checking out. Um, and yeah, I mean, we're, 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 we're at it again this year for the fifth time. And, you know, by now you'd think it would be a well-oiled machine, but you'd be wrong. You it's have a, no idea no how easy, wrong you'd be. Way to put... Yeah. Yeah. It's Something put... like this. It w- I mean, it involves, you know, probably 20, at least 20, 25 people working together. Uh, lots of weird technologies that aren't meant to be compatible with each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and, and a lot of planning that, uh, there's no way to automate that stuff. It's a lot of hands on work. It's a lot of, right. uh, preparation very far in advance. And, uh, Carl, I, I really appreciate you, you know, taking the lead this year and, uh, you know, really being uh, taking a lot of responsibility for getting it going. It's a huge endeavor, 
And mm. uh, it's a lot of work to put together. It's also a hell of a lot of fun. I mean, that's yeah. the great part about the day the telethon actually arrives is mm-hmm. so exciting because, you know, most of the hard work and the, the part that's not as much fun is is on the front end. It's before we get to that. And then once the day starts, you know, once we're rolling, once we're live, uh, that's when anything can happen. And right. all you can do is buckle up and enjoy it and uh, try to make a fun show and keep everybody engaged. And uh, it's it, it always is so magical. There's, once There's this rolling. weird so, feeling uh, of really being spent and just having so much energy when you're done that it's – Oh, yeah. It's your, bo- your brain yeah. – it, It's very hard to come down from that experience. Yeah. It, it is it is endurance podcasting. I mean, I know that sounds yeah. silly, well, we're, but we're at, about at the end three of the day, hours now, so you know, yeah. <laughs> that's a, maybe well it's a good prepared. warm up. Then, yeah, we're I mean, it, 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 it really already. does feel. It, it, it as far as podcasting goes, for me at least, it is the yearly main event. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's it really, and even though I'm mostly behind the scenes, you know, you only hear me maybe for two hours uh, on 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 November eighth, but. It, it it will be a very very fun day. I can promise you. Um, you know, and it, here's the thing, folks. We're gonna have a chat room in the in the on the side article, so you'll be talking with everyone everyone else who's listening along as well. It really is an NWR community event. It's more than just you listening to our live stream. Totally, you know? it's very interactive. The whole mm-hmm. thing, all day long. So mm-hmm. uh, it, it's it, it's it's in a lot of ways, you know, very familiar if you're a fan of this show and you and you haven't listened to the telethon before, but. Uh, in, in a lot of ways, it's very different as well, and mm. uh, we try to do as much as we can to make it special, to make it an authentic live event that people feel like they're a part of and that they have influence over uh, over what happens on the show. Mm. And uh, and I'll say it again, as I do every year, we will do our very best to uh, get a recording of the thing and put it up on the podcast feed a few days later. But it's – I can't guarantee anything. It, this is a very complicated thing to put together. Uh, it's very difficult to pull all that off. And that file's enormous. And there's always a possibility of something going wrong. So, you yeah. know, I understand some people have to be at work that day or, you know, they're on a trip or, or whatever, and, and you may not be able to listen live. But if at all possible, I really strongly encourage people uh, to try to be there uh, during the live event and listen to it uh, on the spot because, you know, even if the even if the recording goes fine and you have a chance to, to do all that stuff later, it's way more fun when you can be a, a real participant Absolutely. and, and mm-hmm. you hear all that stuff going off fresh. I mean, and just realize it's like nine hours of largely improvised video game God talk helps. and, uh, and mm-hmm. other talk, I suppose. But uh, it's complete madness. It's just so chaotic and everybody's so excited and terrified of what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and we really do need the support of the people who are listening live. So if there's any way you can do that, I, I strongly encourage it. And I don't think you'll regret the time that you spend uh, hanging out in the chat room, uh, trying to call in on Skype and, and maybe get get on there and be part of the show and, and, and just listen. You know, uh, mm-hmm. there are ways to, to plug in the, the uh, live stream feed on your on your iPhone or something like that if you want to listen uh, while you're out on the go. Uh, there, there certainly are ways to do that. And uh uh, anyway, regardless of how you do it, I, I hope you'll be able to participate live. And if you don't think you'll be able to be there live, I hope you'll make a donation ahead of time uh, because that helps us, uh, as Carl just described, that really helps us uh, go through this entire uh, content schedule and, and get to do more and more and more stuff. So uh, if you if you can't be there early, if you can't be there on the day of, I hope you'll donate early. Uh, we'll also leave the donations open for a few days afterward too. So if you miss it, you know it won't it won't have an effect on the outcome in terms of how many how many of these uh, different segments that we were able to produce. But uh, it is still go to the charity, and we'll still be very happy to collect that as well. 
Well, and, and on that note, I will say that as of today, we are, John and James are unlocked and unlicensed to drive. Sweet. So we are guaranteed to at least to, be. To, to yeah, that for, potential disaster. Yeah. Yes. That is going to happen. <laughs> guaranteed disaster. Well, yeah. It's yeah. a question of is Look, it going to be the disaster we planned or the disaster of John? Why didn't you prepare for this segment? And, and, and look, I mean, it, it's almost it. it's almost a, a telephone tradition at this point for weird and wacky things to happen. I mean, we all remember John's multiple raps, multiple. Mm-hmm. There were there were more there than one of those. There was an egg salad wrap, chicken. There was an egg uh, salad there, wrap. I have many are there more. Uh, are there more like Nintendo wrap? wraps that uh, haven't been? There's tested several now. What? There's several floating around. Mm-hmm. Out I mean, there's, there's, there's a Pokemon yeah, there's one. like a seven thousand part Pokemon wrap at this point. Yep, and there's the 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 DK the DK wrap. You've done, uh, yeah. done that one already. Done. But there's the there's yep. the Legend of Zelda commercial that you haven't you've never It's in Japanese. Before. Yeah. That makes it better. Bonus points. Yeah. yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I couldn't even so. get through that. <laughs> Tune in to the lunacy, folks. You're gonna have to. We mm. all will. Mm-hmm. Alrighty. Great. Well, thank you for the uh, preview, Carl. I'm really looking oh, sure. forward to it. And of course, the telethon will be uh, in lieu of a normal episode of RFN uh, next week. It'll, it'll probably be instead of a normal connectivity and a normal everything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's all hands on deck. It, it's every podcast all smashed together. And uh, I can't wait for it. So mm-hmm. I hope everyone's excited. Uh, I know uh, a lot of our listeners are really big fans of, of the telethon and, and really get a lot out of it every year. So that's enough rambling on about it. Uh, we're going to wrap up this episode. Again, we will be doing emails right off the bat, noon Eastern on uh, November 8th. So uh, send yours in. We've got a, a pretty nice backlog. We're going to get through a whole bunch of them, I hope. That's certainly the plan. I think the pressure of doing it live will help us. We'll do it live. Along and and. And do quite a few of them, but uh, you can uh, submit yours too and maybe be a part of the fifth annual telethon by sending your email to rfn at nintendoworldreport.com. And uh, finally, before we go, thank you, Carl, for being our special guest this week. Thank you for having me, gentlemen. I always enjoy my annual appearance. Yes, sir. It's a pleasure. Uh, and of course, you can check out Carl on uh, Carl and Co on many other podcasts over at crosstalk.com. That's with a W. And uh, as Carl mentioned, you'll hear uh, both he and I uh, every two weeks on Box Office Poison along with a bunch of other XRFN guys where we talk about movies. And I think if you enjoy this show, you will enjoy that show. I think you should check that out. Most definitely. All right, guys. Well, we're going to wrap up this episode. We'll see you next Saturday for the telethon. I hope you'll be there. Mm -hmm. Call in. Donate. We'll have fun. Yeah. Telethon and telethon things. Peace out. Later. Bye. Bye.